listen to the Black Guy Who Tips podcast because Rod and Karen are hot. Hi, welcome to the Black Guy Who Tips podcast. Your host Rod and Karen, and we're in the house on a Wednesday. Today's a very special Wednesday. We got all the audio from the panels we were on at PyCon, and we wanted to present it to our listeners and let you guys hear what we were up to mm-hmm. and what we talked about. And hope you guys really enjoy it. Um, of course, um, you guys should all know the you know official weapon of the show is the, the unofficial sport is bullet ball and bullet ball extreme. And in this case, the um, panels we were on, we were on three different ones. Um, they were about an hour each. Um, the first one is called being a podcaster of color. Uh, we had a great time on that panel. Yes um dylan marrow was the uh host uh francesca ramsey was on there um aparna was on there um paul bay was on there um we had a great time doing that um mm-hmm. and uh you know i think that was probably my favorite panel that we did i would, I would say mm-hmm. uh, i don't know if you had a favorite um then we had um uh, t- podcasting about tough topics which is uh another another one that we did yes another one of my favorite ones i enjoyed them all yeah i i did too man um and um i believe ashley was the host for podcasting about uh tough topics mm-hmm. um she has a, a podcast about environmental um uh issues and stuff for npr and a radio show for them too as well um so yeah we um we had a good time doing that um i mean that one we had the um we we had so many people on there um we had uh the lady from criminal mm-hmm. um on that one we had um let me see who else we had um what's my girl's name that we met that was doing um um vanessa we had vanessa zoltan on that one we had phoebe judge who's from criminal and a partner uh upon a Nacharla was on that one as well yes, she was um that was very funny and actually ahern did the um ahern uh did the um the hosting for that uh she was a moderator uh that was fun it was. um and very organized yeah very organized um and then we also had uh we love communities mm-hmm. where we talked about you know you guys um and i'll put that one last but we had drew ackerman on there we had um hank green travis mcelroy mm-hmm. um uh and Ari- ariana um uh was a person who moderated that one we had just got julian coster on there as well just i mean look there's this podcasters podcasters on podcasters uh hopefully you guys enjoy this yeah. audio yes and get introduced to some new people and get introduced to some new people and we'll see you guys um saturday for our feedback show we will um and we'll let you guys know the schedule for all the uh holiday stuff because you know we got christmas coming up and new year so i'm sure we'll be uh skipping some shows here and there but i hope you guys enjoyed this extra long um live uh panel edition of the blackout tips thank you so much guys peace hello everyone how are you guys doing good um, we, this is a welcome to being a podcaster of color. You have found the rare unicorn room of podcasters of color. Yeah. Yes. 
We are rare unicorns, and I am so proud of us for just existing and proud of you all for being in this room. We are a small minority, but we are a loud and proud minority. Um, So just to kick us off, uh, I would love if we could go down um, the row, introduce ourselves and the podcast that we work on and I closely identify with. Uh, My name is Paul Bay. I uh, write and produce The Big Loop and The Black Tapes. Hi, I'm Francesca Ramsey, and I co-host Last Name Basis with my husband, Patrick. I'm Rod Morrow, and I co-host The Black Out with my wife, Karen. Yay! I'm Karen Morrow, and I co-host The Black Out Who Tis with Rod Morrow. <laughs> um, I'm a partner named Carla, and I co-host a podcast, Blue Woman Group, with Jacqueline Novak, who's in absentia. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Okay, so let us just call it like it is. Podcasting is white. White, white, white. It is a white field, and God bless white people. Um... Um, but, um, we, it is, it is an elephant in the room that we must address. So what I wanted to, oh, by the way, I'm Dylan Marin and I do conversations with people who hate me and I'm the voice of Carlos and welcome to Night Vale. But that's just housekeeping. Um, so I, what I wanted to first start off with is I wanted to hear from you guys, what are your theories as to why podcasting is the whitest? Um, I'm going to say it's an accessibility thing, right? I mean, the cost to start a podcast is prohibitive. You know, you have to host the content yourself. It's not like YouTube where it's free to upload your content. You're also uploading massively huge files, so you might need a website to host that content yourself. Um, Then you also need to purchase the equipment. The barrier for entry, just in terms of learning how to edit sound, is cost prohibitive for a lot of people of color. So, and and then also, I think just the access to, at one time, we were really only listening to podcasts on iTunes, right? So that meant that you were an iPhone user. Um, and just that in itself, unfortunately, for a long time was a very white space just in terms of how expensive the iPhone was, right? Um, so I think as things have become more accessible in terms of equipment and uh, and technology, you know, phones and all that stuff, I think that that has opened the space. Um, but I will say a podcast that is not here that I credit as being kind of the boom of black podcast is the read. You know? <laughs> they're not here. So they're I know. <laughs> just calm here. She's like, okay. Crystal and Kate Perry. They just came in. They're not here. Oh, oh. <laughs> they're not. I'm sorry. <laughs> My bad. But, you know, I, 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 they've been around for like four, almost five years now, and it was, the, the, the space was so white, and I feel like even they're super talented, but I think also part of their success was there was just a dearth of voices, mm. and they were really like the first to kind of open up that space, and, um, I really think of them as pioneers and opening the door for so many other, uh, podcasters of color to get into the space. Yeah. I, I think in a bigger picture sense, just the idea of someone wanting to live listen to you talk has been primarily a white space for a long time. 
just the idea of having a voice at all, I think, uh, has been, uh, in a lot of ways, a white, male, straight, white, cis male space. And, uh, and I think just in that sense, symbolically, like other people getting voices has been, um, congruent with, you know, them getting, uh, the idea to have a podcast. Uh, I'd say, um, just racism, really. Uh, you know like uh when you see like a list of what's the best podcast it's always like the same 10 12 white people podcast and then every once in a while you sprinkle in a little black and brown person unless the list is like this is a black list you know like and i think people separate on their own like that when you listen to shows most of you probably listen to shows because you heard someone on another show or you were recommended a show on stitcher or something from what you were already listening to if you're white and you're kind of reinforcing that with other white shows it's gonna recommend you some white shit so it's you know and I don't, I don't think it's purposeful or anything i don't think it's like i don't listen to black people but it's like a it's kind of a shock you know so and i think also at least for us it's what audience are you speaking to like we do the black out tips and it's very like for black people right so white people can come in the space but they may not feel welcome or they may feel a little bit like not centered and they'll reject it but we need white people to be uncomfortable and we do have white listeners yes we do but but they have to be a little uncomfortable sometimes you know I, we were talking before we got on the stage about this show misandry and it's a show i listen to i'm a man i gotta be a little uncomfortable they gotta you know men do some messed up stuff so i think there's these entries uh these barriers to coming in that exist within the listener and within the media space and and i think for me the default is white particularly here in america the default is automatically white and so when the default is white that's all you're going to get because i can tell you when i first uh, uh found podcasting i didn't think any black podcast exists because once you get on all on no matter what platform you use the number one thing they tell you is this american life and all this stuff from npr or espn like people of color aren't up there unless it's february unless you know we got a black list who here's the 10 black people we picked you know, for you to glance over and probably not pay attention if you're white. So it's one of the things where if the default is whiteness, we have to get people to understand that. But like this, I realize when it comes to black podcasting, you have to actually search for it. it uh, not only black, I say brown podcasting or anything that's not, like you said, straight white men, LGBTQ, anything outside of the norm, you almost have to search and find it. And also, I think uh, for a lot of people, they're introduced to white podcasts. I know for me, I just thought it was all white. And then a whole new world opened up. Like once you start finding out I'm a black female, so I look for black female voices. There are a few out there. You have men but you rarely have women and so it's one of those things where i think in my opinion is hard to kind of break people's tradition of always looking for whiteness in podcasting mm. um I, I used to be an actor and i got i quit because i got i ran out of ways to you know play a ninja I, there was only so many ways <laughs> or a chinese cook or uh, you know that kind of stuff so i'm like well i can move into another medium where they don't know it, where your only your voice matters it doesn't matter what you look like but it still stings as someone from entertainment to have to watch Asian material and have them cast someone like Scarlett Johansson in the Asian role. Right. So, right. so as a as someone who writes and produces audio fiction, uh, I'm able to in the big loop do what I want to do and what I call yellow washing, where I have an Aussie, an Aussie assassin, 
but he's played by a, a, a Japanese Korean guy who grew up in Australia. Right? So, so that's that's where this podcasting thing is to be celebrated, where there's a potential for more voices, diversity of voices, and you, we do it sort of sneakily. Right? You sort of do it without the average listener knowing, but that they're listening to a diversity of voices. We just sort of bring it in, and then you could hammer them over the head with it if you want to. There's various, various ways to do that, but it's a way to uh, have people shift the way they view the world as not just a white thing. Yeah, I I have a theory. Um, too. I, first of all, I think everything you guys all said was spot on. I also think, remember, podcasting uh, in a large way spouted from radio, mm-hmm. and we are... <laughs> yes, radio, what's up? Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I... God bless you. Um, and I loved the support. Um, so uh, podcasting came from radio, right? And radio, we are told that there is a right radio voice, and the right radio voice is the white radio voice. And I experienced this in two ways. One, just being a a brown person. I'm directing this answer only at you now. Um, uh, One being um, only uh, being a brown person, but also uh, having a high effeminate um, voice. I was always told, like, no one wants to hear your voice on radio. Like, to have a radio voice, it needs to be deep and uh, velvety. And that just means white, Anglo, that, you know, transatlantic accent. Um, Wasp, yeah. (laughs) Um, and, and so I think because that is like our, our notion of what like a good radio voice is, I think so many people don't fit into that. There's this amazing, um, uh, NPR correspondent named Chihenjirai, and he started this movement, um, where he was like, listen, I don't speak, uh, like white people. You know, um, he's black and he has so often hit walls because they're like, you're, you don't have an NPR voice. When that's truly ridiculous. Like, Literally, if you can speak into a microphone, you should have an NPR voice, right? Um, and he was saying, like, I still demand to be here because, and he was saying, like, my voice is seen as less educated, whereas he just needed to, like, bar- barrel through and say, like, I have a story to tell, too. So I think people just don't see themselves represented, don't feel uh, the need to do that. And I, the other theory I have is that so much of the way we relate to people is through visibility, like literal uh, sight visibility and because podcasting is not a visible medium um, the lack of representation I think a lot of times reverberates to the audience and it's like well I don't see myself represented there and um, it's we've had to rely on an if you build it they will come kind of model like like we mentioned with the read um, but this is interesting Paul you hit on this a little uh, when you were talking about what you did before for many of us we all come to podcasting uh, from many different ways right um uh, some of us started as actors. So I would love to hear from you guys what led you to podcasting. <laughs> I, can, I can start. Um, well, I'm in comedy, and, you know, it's so rare to see podcasting in comedy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, in, in, I think in comedy, it's kind of like everyone default has a podcast. It's just like, do you want to own it or not? Um, so I, I had to be like, if I want a podcast, what should I do it about? But my friend Jacqueline, who I co-host um, my podcast with, we sort of primarily bonded over both having depression and anxiety. And so we sort of wanted to do something in the mental health space, but 
Um, you know, there are a lot of really good mental health podcasts out there, like Mental Illness Happy Hour, among others, and we wanted to sort of do something different from what already existed, so I think we sort of approached it from a, we are two depressives who sort of are functional in our lives, but it's, mental health still fills a sort of component of our brains, and it's not going to go away, probably, for the rest of our lives, so how do we sort of cope with just being a person in the world, and like, a functioning adult, but having this sort of brain that skews negative and sort of is, um, uh, I don't know, tends to fall into certain traps easier. And um, <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, <laughs> and sort of speaking to that in in an industry where those things are triggered very easily, like if you skew that way. So I think that's where it started from. Hmm. Um, I host and exec produce a show for MTV called Decoded, which uh, is a web series about race and pop culture. And um, it's really great. I've been doing it for almost three years now. I'm super proud of it. But I think because I host a show and I talk about race and social justice and identity, um, I have gotten this perception from people that I'm like this Debbie Downer, that you don't want to invite me to parties because I go around the room going, that was made by slaves and that was made by slaves. <laughs> that thing makes you a racist. And I'm actually not that person if I'm not on the clock. Um, <laughs> and so uh, I got approached for the opportunity to make a podcast. And I thought, like, what should I make a podcast about? And my husband and I were just kind of bad, you know, throwing some ideas around. And we were just being funny, as, as we usually are. And I thought, huh, this should be the podcast because I think this is an opportunity for people to see me in a different light, right? Like, I'm not reading a teleprompter. I'm not uh, coming to you as an authoritative voice. The relationship that I have with my husband is very casual and loose. Um, I'm also in an interracial relationship. So, hey. hey. Um, you always know you're, you have an audience of color because we are so vocal. I, I, I love, I feel like there are white people in the room that are like, why are they shouting? We do that a lot. I love it. Like the snaps, all of it. I'm here for it. Um, and so Pat and I talk about social justice issues, not every episode, but we talk about them in a very casual way. Um, we see things very differently. We talk about them from our own lived experiences. And I think that people really enjoy that about our show because we can um, have different perspectives. We don't always agree on everything. Like we agree on the things that really matter, but we also really can respectfully disagree with each other. And I love that our show gives an opportunity for people to see who I am behind the like TV person or the web series personality. Um, and so for me, the podcast was just an opportunity to show like the humanity of who I am and, and what it means to um, have a functioning marriage, like the, the, the ups and downs of it, but like the fun of what, what it is to actually make a relationship work. Uh, I know for us, it started like all stories of black success with tragedy and <laughs> racism. Uh, I got laid off <laughs> on Karen's birthday, actually. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Um, and my day off, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I had to come in and get laid off. They called me in. I had to put on khakis to get laid off. Um, anyway, I got laid off and we had already been kicking around this idea of like maybe starting a podcast. So we did our first episode like that week or whatever when we, I was on Severance. And then, um, we did the show for, I don't know, three or four years and I got a new job and stuff. And then the second time I got laid off, um, we decided to go premium and relied on our audience and, 
and uh for the people that are fans of the show i i got the tattoo because uh, enough people invested in our show so we've always been really independent and supported by a community of people that just want to see us there so they know they're not alone so uh it's kind of been really important to us and um i think there was a void at the time um and because we are an underserved community and as everyone on the stage i'm sure can feel like so i think uh we've been we've been we've shown that we're proof that you know you can have people kind of float you um to take you places so um that was basically our origin story oh and the reason the show's named the black guy who tips and not rod and karen is because karen wasn't sure she was gonna be on the show she was just gonna put me out there by myself <laughs> And she was like, just replace me as a host if you need to. And I was like, I don't think I can do this show on myself. And now look at Karen. She's the star of the show. So I think uh, for me, uh, when Roger first uh, talked to me about podcasting, I didn't know if there was any rules or regulations because I kind of thought about radio. Like you said, can you cuss? Can you not cuss? What can you say? You know, can you offend people? And then I started talking to the microphone. And I think for me, when people, particularly black females, started writing in and say, I feel like that or I understand that or the thoughts that I had, you put them into words. And that's when my confidence began to build and I was like oh this podcasting thing we can do something with this we can go somewhere with this and the thing is it's a people say that black people don't support each other and that is absolutely false we do support each other we just don't support anything and we don't support mess and that's what people need to understand (laughs) like we will give our dollars but it needs to be something that we truly believe in and support. You can't just smack black across it and hand it to us and go, well, it's black. We can kind of see through that a lot of times. And we know that it's not sincere and it's not real. And I think our audience has showed us that um, they will support and people can support. He actually works for the podcast full time. That's what he does for a living. I still have a job. So that goes to show you how much a black people will, a brown people will support something they believe in and something they trust. It's a lot a lot of people that tell us we found you by searching black they was like we went to a, a app and i got tired of listening to white folks i was like is there anybody black out there <laughs> and they google black and we we were number one we finally beat the black boy from hey arnold he was number one for a very very long time and i was like we got to take him down and, and he finally went down and remember when it was uh the black guy always dies first in the movie yes th- yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, I guess mine was uh, a path of uh, first failure. I used to be a high school English teacher uh, and a failed stand-up comedian. And um, I injured my back, and my buddy Terry Miles, who's my partner on the Black Tapes and who now has two other podcasts, Tannis and Rabbits, uh, he has always wanted to make a podcast with me. And we'd written a script called The Black Tapes uh, based on an idea I had about a ghost hunter doesn't believe in ghosts. And he said, let's do a podcast. I'm like, I don't even know what a podcast is, man. And he, and he goes, well, he tried to explain it. I'm like, oh, too bad we can't turn the, the Black Tapes into a podcast. And he goes, why not? And the only thing that existed even close to what we were doing was Welcome to Night Vale uh, at the time, uh, like a, 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 a fictional dramatic serialized piece. And so we, we had to come up with it from thin air and thank God Serial was a hit. So we're like, we'll just copy Serial, right? <laughs> and we'll put her in our world. And then we started the casting and it was really interesting because uh, this is the story that's percolating in my mind and I always had an Asian uh, as as the lead with with, uh, with uh, Dr. Strand who's white and a part to represent Terry and me who's white, I'm Asian. And so we cast our friend Laurie Henry, who's half Chinese, 
but in her photo, no one knew she was half Chinese because she looks totally white. And so she felt every time she went on the forum, she goes, "How come people don't know I'm half Chinese?" I'm like, "Well, you should put out some. It's up to you if you want to put out the photos or not." And then even our cast was like uh, ethnically diverse, but people hear the voice, and so when they hear the voice, they think that's a white person, even though the name is Sally Wong. They're like, "That's still a white person." Like that's what I. That's what they're hearing. And it's, it's like, and so it's, it's become a challenge in the, at least in the fictional sphere uh, to like, well, we're casting with diversity in mind. We have the names. We don't know what else to do to, so that people picture diversity. It's, it's hard to do in a podcast have, to have people picture a diverse thing uh, unless you have them walk in and let's meet at an Indian restaurant. Okay, because my family owns it. Unless you do something like that, but they won't picture that. So. Yeah, that's really funny because that's kind of like what happened with the Hunger Games, right? Where like yeah. Rue was was explained yeah. to be brown like numerous times mm. in the story. I mean, I think that that speaks to Dylan, kind of what you were talking about in terms of like people assuming that what they're hearing is not reflective of them, or but for white people, they're so used to being represented that they assume that everything is a representation of them. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's really that is mm. something that I again would not have thought of because when I read slash listen to the Hunger Games on tape. Like, that's a thing. Um, my husband always says, like, you can't say you read the Hunger Games because you listen to the audiobook. And I'm like, can I, though? Um, <laughs> I, to me, it was clear. Like, yeah. I, I heard them, how they described her. So it was very interesting to me when there was that backlash when there were uh, white fans or white listeners that were really upset with how uh, Rue was portrayed. And then we even saw that with the stage version of Harry Potter where people were really upset um, you know, the fact that there were brown cast members. So, um, I don't know. I think not that I have something special to contribute outside of the fact that people are just assuming that the world is looking like them because they're so used to it. Mm. But maybe that's the reason that we need to continue in inhabiting these spaces to yeah. disrupt that. And I think, uh, just to continue this, like the, the whiteness as default is like when people are putting together a podcast and it's not about race, they don't immediately think of any person of color, right? Mm. You know? Um, yeah, I'll take the few snaps I got for that. Can I also tag on to that to say that it, it is interesting to me also that when, unfortunately, you look at some of the lineups, even at this very con, the people of color have been relegated to a podcast, to a panel about podcasting in color, when in reality, all of us have experiences and expertise and things that have nothing to do with the fact that we are people of color. And we see this also with LGBTQ folks, where they get relegated to a panel that is just about about their identity, while that does shape how they see the world and how they move through the world, I think it's also really important that we, and I think this is a place where our allies need to step up and not just wear the safety pin, they need to ask for us to be in those spaces, to say that like when we are doing a panel about whatever it may be, let's make sure that we have diverse voices on this panel, not because we need to check off a box, but because diverse voices are going to bring something better to the panel that a panel full of white dudes might not be able to to speak on. Um, and I, I saw this, you know, I love VidCon, and I, and I had seen that previously, and I was glad that it was brought up so that we started making sure that diverse voices were a part of all of the panels, not just the panels that were about being a diverse voice. Mm. Yes, to all of that. <laughs> 
Um, that's how I snap. Um, um, so one of the amazing things about podcasts and podcasting is that there are much fewer gatekeepers. Um, you can green light yourself. You can uh, kind of challenge yourself to do things that don't get through on television. Um, I know Aparna and Francesca, you're, you're deeply aware of the kind of television realm and, and um, many people are also fam- aware of other mediums. But in podcasting, you can challenge yourself and do things that wouldn't necessarily be approved by a network board. Um, and so I wanted to know from, from all of you guys, what are challenges? Uh, what are what are kind of things that you have found that you have been able to do that is only possible because you've greenlit yourself? Well, I, I know for us, um, playing games with serious shit is a very big part of our podcast, yeah. and we can only do that because we're our own bosses. Like they, they would not approve guess the race. They would not approve fucking with black people. They were like, y'all need to go ahead and take that on off the air. Yeah, so like we're we've been able to kind of carve out um, spaces for us to be like, we want to talk about racism because it's happening. It's in our lives. Our listeners see it. They experience it. They they're aware of it. Some may even need to be educated on it but we also don't want to be like boring or or debbie donna like like Mm. francesca said so we try to make it fun you know we're how much was i fucked with by this article um let's guess the race of somebody we have a segment called white people news where we just (laughs) (laughs) we just we just read about like ben affleck cheating on his wife and being like Oh shit, Jennifer Garner did what? You know, and, you know like, and, and I love it. Like, by the time you finish, you're like, it's a fresh breath air. You'd be like, oh my god, what did she have on? Right, but <laughs> I could, I could understand if we had to pitch that to somebody right. to get to do that. Depending on that person, they may be just offended at the idea of us being white people news. You know, I mean, Facebook kicks us off for saying like, yeah. man, them white people were tripping. Like, that's racist. You know, so, so like. We don't have that arbiter, so without that gate, we're also able to super serve like a black community, a brown community, uh, LGBTQ community. We're able to just be like, we're gonna uncompromisingly be on somebody's side without having to pretend to do this like, um, performative impartiality of, well, everyone has kind of a point. I mean, should we punch Nazis in the face or should we like, like, like I get the, like, like we get to come on the air and just be like, oh, did you see that motherfucker? Rewind! You know, like that's the kind of thing that we can do without having these gatekeepers. <laughs> and I kind of want to add on when you was talking about uh, voices. Now, one thing I can say about us is that I'm very country. So when, when so it's one thing about me, even though my name sounds white, Karen, you know, when, <laughs> When I start talking, you go, oh, that's a black woman. And she's a southern black woman. And so a lot of times when people hear my voice, we've even had people kind of write in and critique just my voice and the way I sound. You sound too country. You sound ignorant. You know, because a lot of people have these preconceived notions about people from the south anyway. And then it's just one of those things where we had to get people to break those break that chain across their mind because a lot of times we have people that write go at first I didn't like Karen's voice but after I start you know listening she began to you know warm me up and stuff like that so if we had if we had like a boss that person may have been like let's just take Karen off the show let's put someone else in Mm -hmm. so we were able to kind of avoid that and be like what what I'm gonna replace my wife we have to do this together (laughs) (laughs) this is the show guys just go somewhere else 
Um, for Pat and I, you know, I think what's really cool about our podcast is we are an interracial couple, but our show is not about being an interracial couple. Like, and I think oftentimes when you, first of all, when we see interracial couples presented in media, it's oftentimes a white woman with a person of color. Mm. Um, it's very rarely a black woman with, you know, someone that is not black, uh, with maybe the exception of scandal, which <laughs> I guess that was like scandalous and that, for that reason. Um, um, and so I like that our show is not exclusively focused on that. And for that reason, it's not like hacky because it's not about that. It's about a couple that happens to be interracial. And so we do have differences of opinions and we do have different experiences and we can laugh and have fun and, and talk about those things in an authentic way. I think that if we had, you know, uh, we were lucky that we joined a, a network later on after our, our podcast had already been established. So they knew what we were doing. I think that if we had had producers involved from the start, um, there is a potential that they might have wanted to change the direction of our show or um, or ask us to really talk about, like, how hard it is for us as a couple. Mm. Like, what's it really like? You know, like, how how difficult or what are the ch- what happens when you walk down the street? And it's like um, mm. the same things that happen when lots of couples walk down the street, right? Um, and so I find that oftentimes when I'm explaining the show to people and then they see, like, our artwork and they're like, oh, I had, like, you're an interracial couple. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not really what the show was about. Um, I really like that. It just makes us a normal couple and it's interesting that we've built an audience that has lots of interracial couples and they say they enjoy the show because we talk to each other the same way that they do um, and it just feels fun and very honest. Mm, Um, It's interesting when Jacqueline and I were first pitching um, Blue Woman Group to a couple different podcast networks. I think one of them was like, oh, well, we we already have a show with like two women comedians and they might sometimes talk about mental health. Like, their podcast isn't even about mental health. It's just, like, they also have brains. So, you know, it's very (laughs) similar. Um... So I think there's still this idea when when you're I don't know when you're a person of color or you're um, even just a woman or a minority in in any sense of the word or a marginalized group like people still think there's only so many slots you can fill and your experience is still somehow niche <laughs> um, and whereas like you know meanwhile like 50 white men through the gate talking about a variation of you know food or something <laughs> and you're yeah. like but it's different. Um, so I think it's still like you still have to carve out your own space in a lot of senses because I think um, even though podcasting is now a bigger industry and there is more money being allocated to it in companies like it's still like you're saying primarily a white space Mm. white dominated yeah yeah um, there's this episode of Big Loop uh, I just put out, and it, it it caused quite a stir. If you if you suffer from depression, don't listen to it because it's about dying. Um, and it's a story I've been trying to write for a long time, and because it's my personal anxiety about that thought, the story. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm a I'm a cis male, and so I have to. I, I'm writing a personal thing about what I'm experiencing, and when I try to cast it, when I try to write it, uh, when I write fiction, I try to p- imagine parts of real people I know, and it's about the last human in space, the last human in the universe. And the partner that go, is sent to go on a useless mission to repopulate another planet with pods. Um, and I couldn't imagine a single cu- couple I knew like that NASA would pick and go, you two need to be stuck in this small craft for seven years to travel. Like it, I couldn't base it on me and my wife because no one would pick us. Uh, <laughs> we'd kill each other. And I couldn't think of a single 
single straight couple I knew uh, that anyone would pick to go out in there. And then all of a sudden, I'm just going through all my lists, and then all of a sudden I thought of my friends Wendy and Emma because they invited me to their wedding. And I'm like, Jesus, it's you. It's you two. You never fight. Wendy could have been an astronaut. She's a medical professional. Like, she's so calm and cool. She would never panic. So, and, and so in my story, the last human in the universe is a queer woman of color. If it ever becomes a movie, that'll never happen, right? Unless I fight for it, right? Like, that'll, you'll never see... Scarlett Johansson could do it. <laughs> the movie studios can believe like giant transformers and yeah. elves yeah. And, and all types of shit like that, but woods. not a queer woman of color being no. the last person on earth. No. That's that's a leap for it them. It just wouldn't be. It's just not realistic. Yeah. Um, it's like also the earth blowing up isn't either, but hey, <laughs> actually that is realistic. Um, Moving on, um, there uh, are many uh, potentially um, aspiring podcasters here in this room. Um, uh, and what is your advice? What would you give to people who have wanted to crack into podcasting and, and haven't yet? Uh, you should start that shit and be... <laughs> The number one thing is, and I'm serious, I know it sounds cliche, but you need to be um, in it for yourself because you can't really guarantee anything else. You don't know how many people are going to listen. You don't know who's going to find it entertaining, any of that stuff, right? Um, and then the other thing is you have to be consistent. Once again, not very sexy, but um, those, like, I think the average podcast doesn't make it past six Definitely. episodes or something like that. So um, there's all these, like, failed podcast like you know um but if you kind of do it for yourself you're not as worried about the feedback you're not as worried about um what other people think or their popularity you're doing it for yourself so you want to get better at it like any hobby right like when you start jogging you don't jog for other people you jog for yourself right and you measure yourself against yourself um and i think those would be the most two uh crucial elements and if you are a person of color in this room that wants to start a podcast just understand what audience are you talking to like this is a language that um we it's not it's not overt it's it's a language you hear people it's kind of subversive you can listen to someone you can see when like we have to pick our all of us we're all all the black people already know but you have to pick when you're talking to an audience right so there's sometimes where you're like i'm going to explain this thing and i'm imagining some white person that doesn't get it and i'm going to try to approach them i'm going to explain this thing and i'm talking to somebody that like me and they already do get it and they just want to go amen hallelujah and high five right so you have to have all those things in mind when you create your product and when you start and don't be too tied to it because everything evolves we didn't always play games our first episode uh, in addition to audio quality sounded terrible um the first episode i think the first words out of our mouth is like we're just not gonna be like political or like <laughs> controversial or anything you know we just want to talk and we don't now it's like the whole show is like man fuck trump so <laughs> <laughs> i think my thing would be don't compare yourself to any other podcasts because i think when people first start off they ask people you know what can i do which is fine but a lot of times people look at their size and their audience when you first start off and you try to compare yourself but your road is your road our road is our road and you don't know where your road will take you and when you try to mimic somebody else you limit where your road takes you trying to follow behind somebody else um because like with us we did our lane and our 
lane just happened to take us here. Your lane may take you completely somewhere else and be willing to change, be willing to evolve, be willing to grow, be willing to adjust, you know, uh, be willing to grow as your audience grows. You know, a lot of times people go, I get into podcasts, but they don't understand once that growth comes, there's certain standards and expectations that kind of go along with that. And you have to be willing to adjust to those things. How do, how do you address the feedback? How do you address the criticism? You know, like that goes along with the platform too, you know, because when you first start, your circles are tight. So with your circles is t- are tight, everybody comes, normally loves you because, hey, I love you, da, da, da. But what happens once you get to the point where you begin to reach people that don't like you or you begin to reach people that uh, might not like you for whatever reasons? Like, how do you handle those things? And those are things that new podcasters don't think about until they get there. And then sometimes they respond good and then sometimes they respond badly. It varies, you know. Um, and, and a lot of times that has to do with personality because we've gotten to the point where once you get to a certain status, whatever that magical status number is, I don't know what it is now, you have to just not respond. And sometimes it's human nature. It's very hard not to respond, particularly when something is coming at you negative, something that you feel is not just, something that you feel is not right, something that you feel like you have to speak on. You know, that's very hard for people just to go, the energy that I'm putting into you, I could be investing into my baby, which is my podcast. You know, so you have to learn how to allocate your time and your energy. Like Roger said, the biggest thing is consistency. That's one thing that we see. If you can only do a podcast once a month, stick to that schedule. Like for us, we do five days a week, but we also don't plan things around that time. Doctor's right. appointment, nope, can't do that. <laughs> I got a family function, nope, can't make it because this is priority to us. You know, but a lot of people, and the thing is, it's a difference between you doing it for a living and you doing it for a hobby because a lot of people podcast for a hobby. Just be real with yourself and say, I'm doing this for a hobby and you can, and every episode can be we back. That's cool. But if you're actually doing it because you actually want to produce something, you have to be consistent because the only way you can grow your audience, they got to know at 12.01 on Tuesday night, your podcast is coming up because if it don't, we changed our day one day and people was hitting us up, hey, what a podcast, like immediately, hey, I checked last night and it wasn't there, you know, because they have got conditioned to that. Um, I would just like to say, Karen, I would like for you to be my life coach. <laughs> I know. I know. Yes. <laughs> a lot of those things had nothing to do with podcasting, <laughs> right? Just like thinking about staying on your own path. I was like, you are so right. Like, <laughs> I'm just going to stay on my path. Um, I agree with all of those things. Um, I really liked what you were saying about just being adapting to, to change. And I think as content creators, no matter what medium you're working in, I see a lot of people um, become stagnant because they've decided that this is the thing they're going to do and like this is the thing that they're working towards and it has to be this thing. And sometimes I think you don't realize that the thing that you've decided that you want is not really for you mm. um, or it's not meant for you at that time or um, maybe you've had times in your life where you look back and you realize something that you really, really wanted, it didn't work out because it wasn't meant to work out and it just, or you weren't really prepared for it or it wasn't really the right field for you. I think the same thing is true for content creation of, of any kind. You might set out a goal for yourself and if you don't reach it, it doesn't, it's not a negative reflection of you. Maybe that just wasn't the thing you were supposed to do. And so I feel similarly when we look back at our podcast that we were doing things that we don't do anymore um, and that suddenly we started doing something and we realized, oh, this was just something we did on a whim that was 
really funny and we really enjoyed and the audience ended up liking it. And so we're going to keep doing that versus saying like, but no, I really liked this segment and I want to keep doing this segment. But like if your audience is not responding to it, if that's not working, then you need to listen to them and you need to pivot and try something different. And I think just being open to the possibility of change and how that might shape your podcast, I think is, is really helpful. Also, um, just to piggyback, like when it comes to Justin, it's also like technology. Um, a lot of a lot of stuff is on other people's platforms, which change. You know, Patreon is going through a change right now. Mm-hmm. For a lot of podcasters, that's going to add a fee to their users, and now right. they have to figure out where do I go? Do I stay here? Do I, you know, um, learning like if if you're doing it yourself, learning your equipment, learning uh, how to use programs to edit your stuff, like that's knowledge that can't be taken away from you. You know, you could be a damn studio engineer basically without a degree just from this hobby. You know, so. That's part of the adjustment as well. Yeah. Um, if possible, uh, like in my situation, if find out, like recognize what your weaknesses are and find good people whose strengths that you want to, to help you out. Cause you know, I want to produce a podcast, but my weakness is I don't know how to produce a podcast. <laughs> so I, I had somebody in my life who knew exactly how to produce a podcast. Um, and also, uh, it, mine's a little different because it's an audio drama. If you're going to produce an audio drama here, uh, make sure you can pitch it in one sentence. Uh, in the last eight months, there's been eight times more podcasts entering the iTunes uh, store, uh, Apple Podcast Store. So it's, that's a lot to, yet that's a lot of noise to cut through. So make sure you can pitch it. Like Black Tapes, we said, okay, how are we going to pitch it? It's a ghost hunter doesn't believe in ghosts. What's Big Loop? Big, it's a black mirror across love and radio. That's it. That's all we need to say. And it makes people nod their heads and go, I'm into that. So if you have an audio fiction, make sure you can do it in one, uh, one flight of an elevator um i i feel like everything good has been said uh i would i think i would the only thing i would add is um there is yeah there is so much content out there right now i think as as important as it is to be flexible and to evolve and sort of have an ongoing process as to what your podcast is like definitely go into it with some kind of point of view like i just feel like there is still a like grotesque amount of podcasts that I've been a guest on where they're just like, you know, we just talk about stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not enough anymore. Like you're competing with one, so much other um, content and two, like the thoughts in your listeners head, you have to be at least more interesting than that. So that's a low bar, but, but surprisingly higher than you would think for a lot of people who are starting podcasts. Yeah. Um, okay. So we have uh, 13 minutes left and I wanted to open it up to questions from you all. So uh, with that being said, with 13 minutes and many of you, I would say let's work to keep our questions as concise as possible. We'll work to keep our answers as concise as possible so as many questions can be answered. Um, yes. I, yes. Over here. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. That would be funny if on this panel we were all like, this American life. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Bye. <laughs> Have you guys heard of cereal? <laughs> oh, my God. Small podcast. <laughs> um, I love Code Switch so much. Um, and that is an example of a podcast by people of color about race. But it gets uh, real into some hardcore nuance that is not afforded in other podcasts about race. Um, I, I think the work they do is wonderful. It's also heavily edited, so you're getting like a tight 30, you know? And you're like, I know what I'm getting. So I love it. Yeah. Uh, 
I would say love and radio because uh, it's always different. I don't, it's unexpected, and I'm listening. I have to listen to a perspective that I would not voluntarily listen to. There was this one on, I, like, I'm, I'm like, it's, you know, I'm a high school teacher. I don't want to listen to a, a pedophile's perspective. But they they did this one amazing episode of these people who were charged in a community, and they had to rely on each other for strength. And I'm like, I, I don't want to listen to this, but I have to. And I was able to. It broke open my mind. So love and radio. Um, I've been listening to Death, Sex, and Money, which is not a uh, people of color podcast, but they it's a podcast where they have a lot of guests. And what I like about it is that they do have guests across a wide variety of identities. Um, and so every episode is about death, sex, and money. So sometimes it's personal stories from the audience. Sometimes it's an interview with a celebrity. Um, uh, Gabrielle Union recently did an episode, which mm-hmm. was really good. Um, and I, I like it because you get to hear from famous and non-famous people um, talking about topics that are kind of taboo and we don't normally talk about. Uh, and I also listen to Reply All a lot, mm-hmm. which again is not people of color, but they do have some people of color as correspondents. Um, and it's also about the internet, which I love. Uh, so yeah. Uh, I would uh, say Misandry, which is a podcast mm-hmm. by two women about, well, two comedians, uh, Ray Sani and Marsha Belsky. And um, it's a very like pro-black and pro-woman podcast um, and very funny as well. Obviously, they're comedians. Um, and then the other one I would throw in is What's the Tea? which is um and it's tea um which is by two of our friends uh nicole and reggie um and hosted by people of color uh one of them is a gay man um but it feels like listening to two friends talk and you just like picked up the phone by mistake and you just don't want to hang up mm-hmm. which is like my favorite kind of <laughs> podcast to listen to where i'm just like i'm snooping you know what i mean I think for me, um, MTR Network, um, uh, with MTR Network, they cover a lot of geek stuff because they're black geeks and you're not alone. And so with (laughs) MTR Network, they cover like comic books. They cover comic book movies. They cover character. They have a thing called Character Corner where they will actually go back through the history. They did a history of Wonder Woman. They do history of Thor. Like anytime a major movie is coming up, be it Superman, Batman, they'll give you the background because I'm not going to read all those comics. So I listen to them to give me my background story. And so... uh and Super Tuesday? Yeah, and Super Tuesdays where they cover like all the superhero shows. Now I think they're about seven days a week. They keep adding shows. <laughs> um And so that's, that's the, the flash. Arrow, Legend of Tomorrow, all those type of shows. And you get stuff that you would only get from like a black perspective. Like, right. how is Felicity going to do that at Iris's wedding? I Come mean, on, dog. she was out of pocket. I've seen the best man wedding. I know what's wrong. <laughs> she ain't had no business doing that. Mm-mm. Wrong time. Um, <laughs> see, you made me lose my, lose my top. That sorry. and oh, you good, sweetie. And uh, where's my 40 acres? Because uh, where's my 40 acres? They cover music, more of hip hop music from a black perspective. Um, and so those two are the two. I, now, I listen to hundreds of podcasts, but those are the two that I'm suggesting right now. He said, I said, oh, I got to narrow it down a little bit. <laughs> You're doing great. Oh, yeah. I, um, I haven't listened to it in a while, but I really love Another Round with mm, Tracy Clayton yes. and Evan Nagatu. Yes. They're amazing, and you should definitely do follow everything they do. Um, and then I also really like this interview podcast called On Being with Krista mm. Tippett. She does like just in-depth interviews with all kinds of people, and I just feel like they're all fascinating and mm. really good. Oh, one more that I want to uh, never before with Janet Mock. Mm. Oh, uh, yeah. So she's such a great interviewer. Um, she has a really great, I think it was the 
second episode where she talks to uh, Tina Knowles, mm. Beyonce and Solange's mom. Um, <laughs> and it's so great. Like, it is... Oh, my God. And now I'm thinking of one more. But... Um, she just had so much life advice, and it's like if she raised Beyonce and Solange, <laughs> she has to know what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have recommended this podcast so many times. I know you're gonna, you're you're gonna know this one, uh, Making Oprah. It is mm. only six episodes. Um, I have some intel, but they might be working on another project. Mm. Um, but it is like a game changer. It's all about how Oprah got started before she became the Oprah that we know now, and it's mm. interviews with people that she hired people that hired her people she's fired um and it's it's just really great because it really is about forging your own path and what made her so successful and how she related to her audience and i feel like no matter who you are or what field you're in you can get some sort of inspiration out of that that series all right next question yes right here yeah we love it Mm-hmm. So, uh, how do we take care of ourselves? Yeah. Oh, I know for our, our show, we have like a community of just badass black podcasts that are surrounding us. Like, that's probably the one thing that we did different than most podcasts. Cause we, and we were able to do it because we started so early. But when we like somebody, when we listen to somebody and we're like, oh my God, we'll just like have them on or we'll go on their show. And now with Skype and all this technology, you can kind of insulate yourself. And the same way a black student union works, at a school there's just a place where you can kind of like you know take off your bra and just sit on the like i'm comfortable right here you know i I don't have to worry so much about the feelings of not that there's not different um layers to just blackness and all this other stuff but when you're kind of in a marginalized community there's a little bit more understanding like it's easier to understand it's easier for you to explain to me what it's like being gay and dealing with oppression than maybe if I had never experienced it. So maybe you can make a parallel like, well, you know when those you feel when those cops come up to you? I'm like, oh yeah, oh yes, okay, I get it. So we kind of just insulated ourselves in blackness. And I know for me, uh, I believe in time out. I believe in, hey, I've had enough of this, I'm out. Like, and that's something that black people have a tendency not to do. It's okay to separate yourself. It's okay to leave social media. It's okay to take these breaks. You don't have to know everything. You don't got to be all in black Twitter's business. It's okay <laughs> to be like, I am out. Um, because you're, you're human. So your mind has got to take a break. Your heart has got to take a break because it's so much bombarding you all the time and you constantly are taking things in that you have got to get yourself to a point. Because the thing is, if you're not healthy, you cannot do the things that you need to do for people around you in your real life and for your podcast. If you're drained, your audience will hear it. If you're tired, your audience will hear that too. And so for me, I'm very quick to be like, I'm out. And sometimes I don't respond. Sometimes I'm like, you know what? You're talking foolishness today. I ain't got time for this. And I think that people think that's being crude or mean. No, no, no. It's a self-protection mechanism that you must have in order to continue on and for that self-protection, in, in my opinion. I know that works for me. It might not work for everybody else, but that works for me. Sometimes you have to cut yourself off. No, you selfish. What? <laughs> Girl. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that too. I think to piggyback on that in terms of, you know, saying no and, and removing yourself from certain situations, I understand the fear of if you don't say something, you feel like somehow you're inherently co-signing it. And right. I feel like what you have to do is you have to, you set limits for yourself and set standards for yourself, but you also have to figure out what works best for you. And so sometimes it might be as simple as I'm really not okay with what you said, but it's really not my job to educate you on it. So I'm going to peace out. So I'm letting you know to do your homework and 
and like see you when I see you. So like, it, you know, maybe there's a shorter condensed version of that, but it's um, like one thing that I picked up from someone else that I've started saying that I really like is I'm sorry that you feel comfortable saying that sort of type of thing around me because I don't agree with that. Mm. Or are you saying that because you think I'm okay with that kind of language? It's really not like you explaining to them why what they said was really hurtful or problematic. You're just like letting them know that it's not something that you're comfortable with and you don't have to go any further than that. And whatever that might be for you is going to be different. Um, but it's something that my suggestion to people always is to think about that outside of those environments. Right. So when it happens, you're ready. Mm-hmm. So you have it like in your back pocket and you can think on the times that people have said things that made you uncomfortable. And you know, you start noticing trends that people say certain types of things. So you can come up with like a great little witty one-liner that lets them know that you're not comfortable with it, but you're also like not there to do the emotional labor for them to walk them through why you're not okay with it. Um, and that's something that you kind of just get better with as you as you have more practice. And with age, it's not something that you're going to be great with the very first time around. I adopted three dogs. Uh, <laughs> there's nothing more humbling than picking up the feces of three different beings in your life. So. <laughs> Yeah, I think especially if you're, um, you know, if you're like a representation for someone of like themselves in a space where there aren't a lot of people like you, you want to sort of be there for them, but you don't owe anything to anyone outside of yourself. And that is a hard line stance, but I think it's just important to set those boundaries before you kind of enter a medium where I think a lot of people are like maybe going to relate to you or like feel very close to you in a way that they might not actually be that part of your life in the same way that you are in theirs. So I think it's important to set those boundaries. You can always sell out too, which is another option. (laughs) It's out there. Amazing. Uh, Well, thank you all so much for being here. Uh, Please give a round of applause for our amazing panelists. Um, Please give a round of applause for yourselves. We are rare unicorns. I'm proud of us all for existing. Um, thank you so much for coming. And uh, if you're cooking up a podcast, we wish you the best of luck with it. So, yeah, thanks. Test, test, one, two. All right. Who's, are you guys having a good conference so far? Yeah. Seems like an awesome crowd out there. I'm loving the costumes out in the lobby just now that we walked through. That was super cool. My name is Ashley Ahern. I host a podcast called Terrestrial, exploring the choices we make in a world we've changed, or as I like to call it, it's the we're fucked, now what, climate change podcast. <laughs> um, and so we're talking about tough topics all the time. So when the PodCon folks got in touch with me and asked me to moderate this panel, I knew this was the kind of conversation I wanted to be having because it's the conversation I'm trying to have with my listeners a lot. And... Um, We have a great panel today. I'm going to let them introduce their shows and the kinds of tough topics they get into. But um, I wanted to start off by just saying that I think that podcasting is the one of the best places that we as a society can be addressing tough topics today. Because God knows there are enough of them out there for us to be getting into, right? Um, I think that I think this because uh, we are conveners of community. We're bringing together listeners who have chosen to come to listen to the topics that we're going to address. And we, as hosts, at least I can speak for myself, and I think the folks up here, um, we value your trust and we value your time that you're giving to us when you choose to listen to our shows. And so um, I don't take that lightly. And when we take on these tough topics, I trust that you're joining me and you're putting your trust in me to explore them. So 
Um, really excited about the panel today, and I want to go down the row here and ask each of our panelists to start off, tell us the name of your show, the one line about it, and um, just like a couple of the tough topics you've chosen to take on. Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Vanessa Zoltan, and I'm one of the hosts of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, um, in which we treat Harry Potter as if it was a sacred text. We really aptly named it. Um, and so we are going through chapter by chapter and analyzing Harry Potter um, as you would the Bible, the Quran, the Torah, um, and using traditional sacred practices in order to um, glean meaning from the text. And so we, I would say, tough topics for us come up in two different ways. We read each chapter through a theme, and so we often will choose tough topics, tough you know, sort of meaty themes to analyze. So we just did something on grief very early on. We did white privilege, which I think we're going to have to redo now that hopefully we're better at our jobs. Um, and then the other thing is that because we're reading Harry Potter, tough topics come up in the text. So I think surprisingly early, something we didn't realize, we had to talk about child abuse, you know, in episode two. Um, so, yeah, so they come at us, and then they also come at us in terms of things happening in the world. So, yeah, I think that that's it. Okay. Um, hi, I'm a partner in Cheryl. I'm a, primarily a comedian. I had, or have a podcast called Blue Woman Group with, um, another comedian and, uh, my co-host Jacqueline Novak, who is not here, but it's primarily about mental health and depression, which is also topics that I address in my comedy and, um, yeah, it definitely for us comes from a more personal place. Like our podcast is just the two of us talking to each other. So I think it is mainly like mental health from from the, you know, ground zero of it all. Yeah. Hi, uh, I'm Phoebe Judge. Uh, I have a podcast called Criminal. And uh, we say that a criminal is a show about people who've done wrong, been wronged, or gotten caught somewhere in between. Um, we talk to everyone. Uh, it's the broadest sense of the word crime. I, most of our topics are tough. Um, there are some funny episodes, but uh, our, we have a weekly challenge at how to take on a tough topic just because it's the nature of the show, which is crime. My name is Karen. I'm one half of the Black Guy Who Tips podcast. We cover topics about race, LGBTQ, um, and Trump, because he's, he's a, he's a t- tragic topic all in itself. Um, so we cover very difficult, uh, topics and, uh, we try as much as we can to put humor to it. Sometimes you've got to cry your way through it, but we will every now and then find a way to make it funny. Uh, yeah, I'm Rod, half of the Black Test podcast, and um, yeah, we cover, as she said, very tough topics, but mostly through the lens of, like, humor, um, even if it's almost like gallows humor, because, you know, being black in America is hard. Um, I don't know if y'all seen the news. It's out there. Um, but um, it's also just that this, this is our existence, and we can't let you don't let it break you, you know. So there's things that we find funny, there's things that we laugh at, and we try to bring it to everything. So we cover a lot of stuff, you know. Um, and the other thing is, since it's a conversation between you know me and my wife, um, it's intimate. So it is kind of like what we would talk about, you know. If if Me Too is a, a thing that is being talked about throughout social media, 
I bet a lot of people are talking about it in their private lives at home too. We just happen to do it on a mic that can go out to the universe. So I want to hear more about how you um, research and prepare for the tough topics you know you're going to dive into. Like you were saying, white privilege or holding grudges was the episode I listened to most recently. Um, how how did you, a little bit from each of you, about how you approach the prep work to make an episode? you start with me again? Oh, well, let's jump around. Why don't you guys start down <laughs> the end? Yeah. Did we'll you see that a, was like puppy dog yeah. face? <laughs> well, we'll give Vanessa a break. <laughs> um, a lot of the, well... Of our show, I'm the research wing, right? Karen's a talent. She just comes in and just like does her thing. And I just kind of like try to set it up, right? So I do a lot of reading. I consume so much news. It's probably not healthy. Um, and then um, through social media as well, um, because social media is basically news now. Um, you find I find out about stuff before it's on TV all the time, right? Um, and then as far as research, also getting people's opinions, like people who are affected by a thing. I don't know what it's like to be trans. So I would feel wrong to be like, no, it's my opinion. Clearly, I don't need to look at this shit. So I'll look at people who maybe they've written an article about it. Maybe they're, um, they have a Twitter thread about it or something like that. So a lot of research, uh, it's kind of a nebulous term, but a lot of it's not just like Google or Wiki or re, you know, it's a lot of it's consuming like people's lived experiences as well. And I, I know for me, he jokes about me being the talent, but I think for me, I, <laughs> I love this man. I'm, but I just, I'm the audience. So a lot of times when he's telling me stuff, I'm actually hearing it for the first time a lot of times with the audience. So a lot of times his response is more calm, cool, and collect because he's went through the thought process of, <gasps> and, and you know, he's went through the emotional roller coaster, but I'm going live on the air. So me and the audience are both going through this emotional roller coaster together until we get to the end where it kind of smooths out. <laughs> uh, we have this, a lot of problems with this. Um, we, we have to find that, we have to, we don't put it in the episode unless we can find the actual document. So if we can't, if it's hearsay, uh, we say he says that he went to. But as much as possible, we find we go straight to the courts. We go to uh, interviews that they've done. I mean, we go, we go to the courts a lot. So we're using legal rulings. We're using police reports, um, firsthand accounts. And if we can't find it, a lot of times we won't put it in. We'll, we'll do a draft of a script, uh, and uh, Lauren will say to me, well, where did you get that? And I'll say, well, I read it. And she said, that's not good enough. You know, you can't just read it. We have to know. And if we can't find something to back it up, uh, then we just take it out. It's. I think it's safer that way. For us, I mean, it's that or, a, you know, a lawsuit. You know, we'd rather just uh, lose that line. Um, I think... Uh my podcast is the least research specific in that it's just straight from the horse's mouth. Um, Jacqueline and I both deal with depression and anxiety, so we sort of start from our own experiences and then sort of try to, you know, posit strategies for people who might also have similar mindsets or, or have sort of an ongoing relationship with depression and anxiety. I think when we had the idea to make the podcast, it was sort of about people who have you know, mental health issues that are ongoing and they're functional in their lives, but for the most part, it's a part of your brain that's not going to just cure itself or go away anytime soon. So sort of coping strategies to 
live in the world with that kind of brain. So, for example, I think one of our episodes is about social media specifically and sort of navigating the world of social media when you um, sort of have an automatic direct dial to, like, shame spiraling and stuff and how we get ourselves out of those holes and hopefully ways that other people might be able to relate to. Um, this is great. I'm learning so much. Thank you. Um, so we, so my co-host, um, our producer and I, we all attended or are attending divinity school. So we don't do so much subject research. What we are trying to do is, um, live process with our listeners. What does it mean to hold a grudge? And so we start with, um, a personal story from our lives, and then we bring questions about what a grudge or whatever it is, love, loss, revenge, we bring that to the text and put the text in conversation with it. And so for us, we're, I think what we're trying to do is model that none of us know the answers to these things, but that through rigorous conversation, um, we can figure these things out together. Um, the, 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 like, rigor to it is that we always are asking ourselves who is the most vulnerable person in this conversation. So when we're talking about child abuse and we're talking about, has anybody in this room ever read Harry Potter? Okay, a few people have, so I can use examples. So um, uh, we try to think of our podcast as an act of radical empathy. We're trying to ask people, if you can empathize with Draco Malfoy, maybe you can empathize with your annoying neighbor. And so very, like, out the gate, we were trying to empathize with Petunia Dursley, who is a child abuser. And we lost track of who the vulnerable person, who the vulnerable people are in that conversation. And we messed that up very early. We were not thinking about victims of child abuse. We were thinking of trying to learn how to empathize. And that was a huge mistake early on. And so... The, the research is in, okay, we're talking about grudges, and so we're going to tell stories about bullies in our lives. Are bullies vulnerable people who we want to be holding in this space, or are we comfortable saying, yep, you're not, like, you're not the person we're worried about in this conversation. We're worried about the bullied, or, right, and as people who think of themselves as chaplains, who, what is the space we are trying to hold? Who is welcome into that space? Who are we trying to take care of? And who are we sort of okay with leaving or not feeling particularly taken care of because they are the person of power in that space. So I would say it's more process-oriented than, like, you know, reading a book on the theology of grudges. I will say that um, the big research that we do is call friends who are better at their jobs than us. So we did a chapter on mercy, and I called my friend Matt, and I was like, what's mercy? I'm Jewish. We don't have that. We have we have a vengeful God. Um, and so he just, like, talked to me on the phone about mercy for an hour, and then at the end of the episode, we thank him, and that's all he gets. That's not true. He, I just gave his children free beanies. So that's we steal things. Um, I did an episode in our first season about the decision to have children or not against the backdrop of climate change and what scientists are telling us the world is going to be like in the coming decades. And it's a it's a very personal decision. And we, in the episode, say I say very clearly at the beginning and the end, this is not, we're not judging anybody for any of your decisions either way. Um, but I would talk a little bit about how I prepared to address this very tough topic. Because it did, we got a lot of blowback for doing that episode. And one of the, I interviewed young couples across the spectrum who are having kids, who are not having kids, and why. And I, um, 
one way that I prepared for that was I went into, I interviewed a young Catholic couple in Colorado and, um, very outdoorsy, get climate change, um, aware of kind of where things are headed and are also deeply Catholic and are going to have as many children as God gives them was how they talked about it. And so I sat down and just thought for a long time before I went into that, that interview, I just like, we scripted out the questions, we workshopped the questions. So for anybody out here who's thinking about addressing a tough topic, I think preparation on the front end can look very simple and concrete. It's a Google doc that maybe you're sharing with someone that has kind of, here's the narrative arc I want to talk about in this conversation. Here are the potential hot spots with this, this person that I'm going to be inter- interacting with. And so I knew um, that I was going to reveal to this young Catholic man that I had had an IUD put in, like, within two weeks of doing this interview. <laughs> and I went into that knowing that I was going to spring that on him, right, in the course of the conversation. And it yielded, it was a really tough kind of personal reveal that yielded an interesting comment from him, which was, I'm so sorry you had to put a piece of metal where no one should ever put a piece of metal. <laughs> And, but I'm, I'm so glad that I had the conversation, right? And that I had the, the, like, that I took a little bit of time beforehand to, to be just premeditated about how I introduced that difficult conversation and elicited that response from him. So that would be my take on sort of when we get into these tough topics, how do we broach them? And, and part of it is through careful preparation and really thinking about how is the person that I'm talking to going to receive this information with the understanding that you can back away. Like if you have that question, that can be a throwaway question if you're feeling in the interview, this is not going to go well if I bring this up. Yeah, can I just say? Yeah, because, jump on. Because so much of what we do is processing in the studio together. The other way we prepare to mm-hmm. talk about tough topics is by having a, a ruthless editor. So if we end up saying something, she's staring right at me right now, um, probably wishing she could live edit me right now. So part of that can be done in post production. If you're not, you know, even if you are um, a podcast that records almost minute to minute. Um, for what you air, if you're not doing live streaming, which I know that some of our panelists do, and that it would be terrifying to me. I, I like my hats off to you. Um, so much of that, if you say something inartfully, like podcasting is wonderful because you get to just take it back. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to talk a little bit more about um, times where it's backfired, times where you've maybe you knew you were walking into a tough topic and it didn't go the way you planned, or um, you got a lot of maybe hate mail or feedback from your your listeners. So, do you want to start, Vanessa? Sure. Um, so, first of all, I want to say that we are talking about Harry Potter and religion. We really like short up our resources for just hate mail and it it like never really came we get it we get hate mail but like the percentage of angry mail that we've gotten has been so little overall that it's really been overwhelming in terms of how lovely everybody has been but um the things so we made a decision early on when we started the podcast. We started it in May of 2016, and we did not intend to be a political podcast at all. Um, and then something happened in November of 2016. <laughs> and we, for very personal reasons for all of us, um, were like, well, I want to be on the right side of history, and I don't want it to be unclear where I stand on things. And so we explicitly, we made the choice that we would start saying Trump's name, that we would start talking about, we want to be evergreen content for a lot of reasons, some of them financial, but that we will take on current events in specific ways, do calls to action, that 20 years from now when we look back on our careers, we don't want people to wonder where we stood on things. And we have um, our iTunes reviews. You can go and see. I really liked the show until they started getting political. We lost some listeners there. 
Um, but I think the hard one for us is right, I think it was the day after the election that we were in the studio. And, um, and I, I mean, right, we were so disoriented and we, it, we made the decision then and there that we have to take on politics straight, straight away. And so we released like a two minute episode, um, a post election note. And, I do think it was our best thinking at the time. We spent a lot of time thinking about what we wanted to say. Um, and in that moment, what we wanted to say is, like, clearly a lot of the country is in pain and voted from a place of pain, and so it, we have to listen to that pain. And that is what our post-election note says. And now I go back and listen to it, and it makes me sick, right? I want to be like, nope, we should have said an act of violence was just done in this country, and, like, bad things are to come. And, um, but it's still up. We haven't, like, taken it down. Um, and so I, I don't know where I was going with this. I think that with tough topics, right, if you're doing them live, um, you can say things that, like, later sound not great, and you just have to be okay with that. So over this last several months, we've gotten emails from people being like, I'm, I just found out about your podcast a few months ago, I heard your post-election note, and it's really troubling to me that there was, like, false equivalency there. And the only thing we can do is write back and be like, yep, it's really troubling to us, too. Like, we would do better now. Um, and then there are some listeners where I talked about in one episode – um, I talked about police officers uh, killing young black men as an ap- epidemic in America, and we got a lot of emails of people saying that they weren't going to listen to our podcast anymore. Wow. And to that, we were like, "Bye!" <laughs> like that, I not only bye, but like, how did you make it this far? <laughs> like, like what what were we doing wrong that you were still listening? Um, so yeah, I feel like we've had both. Yeah, um, well, my podcast is very short-lived. We only have done three episodes, and we, we're sort of in between production companies, so we're sort of in flux. So I don't know if I can speak to um, getting, like, hate mail, because I feel like for the most part people have been very receptive to, like, a podcast on mental health and depression. But it's interesting, early on when the podcast first came out, um, I did do an interview for, like, BBC or something where they were like, we just want to talk about doing a podcast about mental health. And then it sort of turned into a gotcha interview where they were like, do you think depression is something you should make fun of? Which is weird because it's because it's like we're only talking about our own experiences, so it's very strange to be like, "Do you feel like you're being disrespectful to yourself um, by joking about your own life experience?" So that was like a little bit of a mind um, warp, where it's kind of like interesting to see the way things can backfire in ways you wouldn't even predict, and to sometimes acknowledge that people might not react the right way to your work and that is not your responsibility beyond a certain point. Like, I think if you're representing only yourself and your own experience and you're not trying to be like, this is how it is for everyone or this is what everyone with depression should or shouldn't do, you can kind of let go of the fact that sometimes there will be blowback that you don't expect. Uh the episode that was the most surprising to us that, that we had heard more about than anything else that we've ever done, and we've taken on some pretty controversial topics, was the episode we did about a man in Oregon who gave uh, the, his middle finger to cops. He couldn't stop himself. It was, a, And I just wanted to talk to him because I just thought, 
why doesn't he have something better to do? But, um, you know, but uh, we put that episode out. And uh, he basically, he, he it was a, a conversation that we were trying to explore for freedom of speech, that you can do whatever you like to a cop. And uh, he he was arrested for doing this, and then he sued and he got money. So that's why we were interested in it. What we failed to do properly was to acknowledge, even in a subtle, so it could have been very short, a, 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 a sentence or something to say that this is a white man giving the finger to cops. If he were not a white man giving a finger to cops, he might not just have been arrested. Something worse might have happened. We didn't do that. It, it, we we didn't do it, and we should have. And uh, we heard, so we heard a lot of people who wrote in about that. But we also heard a lot of people who just said. Um, then we had to so that camp, and then we had other people who were unhappy because uh, they respected police officers and they believed that we shouldn't do an episode about why would we give this guy any time. And then there was another camp of people who just thought, why are you letting this idiot talk for 35 minutes? Why are you wasting my time with such an uh, inane topic? But we were really, came at it from all sides, and uh, it was shocking to us that this this police middle finger episode just woof I mean we could not win <laughs> um, uh, no one wrote and said thanks for doing that one <laughs> so I think that's my um, for us I'd say for the most part we haven't really had an episode yet knock on wood we're, um, and we do a lot of shows like what are we at like 1500 mm-hmm. yeah so so far We've been pretty good. Like, maybe a person or two will get mad about something, but I don't know. I, for the most part, I think a lot about before whatever I say. Um, and then uh, with Karen, like, we both kind of have a rapport. So, like, if we have different opinions, we'll kind of question each other. And it's not, like, animosity. It's more like a discussion. So I think the show's tone doesn't really lend itself to, like, um, bringing in people who would, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know, be disappointed by us or whatever. But I think about disappointing people a lot. Like, so it's maybe too much, which is fine. But, um, I'd rather err on that side. So sometimes there are things where, uh, maybe we are being empathetic or too empathetic. And then there's also, um, that we have so much of it as comedy. So, um, we're gonna joke about things that, you know, whether we agree or disagree, if we find something funny. So there's a buy-in to the show already when you listen of, well, I know they're capable of making a joke about anything. So by listening to this, I've kind of already agreed to not be too pissed off with them about everything. So we haven't had one yet. Only time we really got mad feedback, and I don't think these people listen to our show, but when I was like, I don't really fuck with Bernie Sanders, oh my God. (laughs) I don't know where them white people came from, but they, they was ready to fight. But, uh, that's the only time, but I don't think they really listen to our show like that. So. They don't. Roderick did the hashtag, um, um, what's Bernie so black? Yes. And so when he did the hashtag Bernie so black, there were a lot of, we call them Bernie bros. So a lot of them Bernie bros wasn't too pleased with that. And they had to let us know that they weren't too pleased with that. So they called us and emailed us and just let us know that Bernie was their boy. And, um, like I said, uh, we feel differently about that. Um, and I express my differences about that. Um, because How I have a How did you do pla- it, Karen? How did you respond? How do you handle that? 
Oh, uh, well, well um, I, I guess we keep it clean. Um, Roderick, Roderick was to the point where he was being very understanding. I was not being understanding. I'm just going to keep that flat. I was just like, I don't got time for you. Um, because the thing about it is that me being a black person and being in black Twitter, you constantly had seen people being harassed by these Bernie bros, like going and just harassing anybody black that spoke out against Bernie. It's okay. Vote for who you want to vote for. Nobody has a, pro a problem with that. But the problem came for the harassment. So my anger was coming back to them from the harassment. And also, the harassment is real. And when you have somebody that does not address their audience harassing people and act like it does not exist, I had a problem with that too. Because I also think that that's something that he, personally, I think that's something that he should have addressed. And was like, hey, you know, I understand you're going to vote, but y'all can't go harassing people just because you don't agree with them. Mm -hmm. the, in short, the response from Karen was, fuck Bernie Sanders. <laughs> and my response was like, man, I still vote for that motherfucker over Trump. I mean, come on. Like, it's Trump. Like, I vote for a lot of things. I vote for inanimate objects over Trump. Anyway. So, so we... <laughs> So, so we, that was the, the difference of opinion, but I wouldn't really consider it backlash from our audience because I feel like those people came from outside of our audience. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I will say not at all the same, yeah. but the most hate mail we ever got was when I, and I'm scared to admit this right now, when I said I don't like Snape. So you like prepare to talk about child abuse and then you like make an offhanded comment about a book character and people are like, I liked your podcast until and you are clearly a terrible person. You're like, okay. So you never know what's going to upset people. Right. Not the same, but no. I was like, okay. No, no. It happened with me when I said I didn't like Toby from This Is Us. It was yeah. a lot. Yeah, right? I don't like Toby either. <laughs> He's a pusher. Right? So when we did the the baby episode, that stirred up a lot of controversy. I got trolled extensively on Twitter um, after, I think mostly just for being a woman and having an opinion about my uterus, I think was really what it came down to. Um, even though I was too, totally clear about, like, I'm not judging anybody else for any of your reproductive decisions. But all of the tweets, all of the hate came from, from what I could tell, middle-aged white males on Twitter. And... Uh, the, I, I didn't respond to the trolls. They say, don't feed the trolls until they were grammatically incorrect. And one of them said something <laughs> that was like, I'm so glad your Y-O-U apostrophe R-E genes are going to be leaving the gene pool. And at that, I just, first of all, nowhere in the episode did I say I'm not having kids. I might have kids, right? Straight up. But I just had to correct that when I was like, it's your Y-O-U-R. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I left it at that. But I'm curious to hear from you guys more about um, what kind of, when you do these tough topics, what do your listeners tell you? Not just the hate mail, but like what kind of positive, what makes you keep going into these places? Because it's not easy, you know? Uh, for us, I mean, we do get like some reaffirming stuff because um, especially if you're in a marginalized community, uh, in America, probably throughout the world, but definitely in America, um, you know, we're spread out. So, like, if I'm a black dude in Wisconsin, I may have to go to work, and I work with nothing but people that aren't black. I live in a community. I may even go to a church. So, like, I don't have a solace. I don't have a place. And listening to your podcast is almost like having friends in your head, right? So it's like, oh, I'm not crazy? Like, I, I can think this thing, and, <laughs> you know, um, if you're dealing with, uh, like, uh, mental illness, like, you can oh someone else knows what depression is um if you're lgbtq um we're you know we're not but at the same time like the fact that we're 
trying to be allies and trying to make a space for people so you can be like look man this isn't right i see what's happening to you and i know as black people um and i'm, I'm sure karen's a black woman we get that feeling because we're we're also podcast listeners so we listen to stuff and we're like oh you you recognize that this is unjust you recognize that this is um uh, we we have a shared connection here and that we need to stand together on this and uh we want to make our show a space for that you know and and it's a little difficult because it is still comedy so (laughs) so sometimes it's us going Oh yeah, we're gonna read all these articles about immigration, and uh, this is really messed up. So we're gonna we're gonna turn something into a game. Like we have a game we started when we first started. It's called fucking with black people, and so we uh, would take an article and we'll assign points from zero to a hundred intervals of twenty five for how much we were fucked with by the article. So it's like, oh, this dude um, put a Confederate flag up next to where these kids play, and we're like a hundred, you know. And, but there's so many people, like when we did our first live show, you know, we're seeing the audience and they're like, a hundred, and you're like, yeah, that's, that must be what's happening everywhere, you know, like, in Wisconsin, there's some dude being like, a hundred at his desk, and they're like, what, what are you doing? Aren't you supposed to be working? And you're like, oh yeah, I'm working. But it's, it's that same, that's, it's that same type of, uh, community that we, that, that gets provided from that. So, that's the good feedback we get from talking about top, uh, tough topics. And then sometimes we get, negative feedback because you you know sometimes you piss people off they don't agree with you or you know they the dreaded you know i i don't agree with everything you say but you know we'll get those type of responses too um i made a joke earlier this year about um if jesus was gay because he didn't have any kids and i was like what's wrong with what would be wrong with him being gay and then i may have taken a little far about him having sex with some apostles and stuff and we (laughs) but but (laughs) It was 13 men and like one woman. Like, what would have been wrong with that? Anyway, yeah, I don't, I don't want to rehash it. I don't want to rehash it. But the point is, I knew that that could piss somebody off too. So sometimes the feedback you get is you talked about this topic and you weren't, you, it's a tough topic to me or whatever and you're not taking it seriously enough or you're, um, picking on my, my thing. So, you know, it's, it's the hazard of doing, getting on the mic. And I think for me, being a female, um, once you turn this microphone on, you automatically get hate from anybody with a penis. I've come to the realization of that. For the fact that you have a vagina, people feel like your voice is not valid. And so I'm to the point now that I don't care. But I used to always didn't be like that. And also being black, too. Um, I think when you talk about tough topics, I have realized that there are are people out there that are listening that feel the same way I do and they don't have the words or they don't know how to put it together or they feel overwhelmed or they feel as though they're crazy or something's wrong with them and they go, you said exactly how I felt or you took my words and you made my words make sense or you took the thoughts that was rambling around in my head all different directions and helped me focus them so that I could be in a better place and you know when you're a female most females have had some form of harassment um, be it verbally sexually rape all types of stuff so you know when I talk about these things that are happening to me those are those tough topics you know because it's very hard once you really get down to the root of a lot of these problems and once you really start talking about a lot of topics I know a lot of our pushback Well, particularly on social media is when you start talking about victims of rape. 
and and sexual assault all of a sudden you have the men but but not about me but 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 and i know for me as a woman i don't care i'm just gonna keep that real i i i don't care that you don't do it you or somebody around you you have not addressed it. You have not talked to them. You know, because the thing is, I've come to the point that people in society have got to be retrained. You know, when it comes to, um, uh, like I said, when it comes to the way society processes things, there are a lot of things that we've been taught that are wrong. You know, and I think that for the first time, marginalized groups are having voices that people would, didn't have to hear. Men didn't have to hear what women thought about their bodies. Men didn't have to hear what women thought about sexuality because society tells most straight men that, you know, your woman is property, like that chair, and she has no opinion, and what you say goes, particularly when we talk about religion. And so once you start getting into these topics and you start kind of getting to the root and the causes of them, I realize I've even had men come to me and say, because you talked about these topics and the way you talked about these topics I've learned how to love my wife better because you've addressed these things I've learned how to talk to my daughter better because you've addressed these things I feel like now I can go and talk to my daughter uh, to be sure she hasn't been molested in any type or way, form, or fashion you know, because I um, because the thing about privilege privilege has to be addressed and if you don't address that problem you go into other things so, so when you talk about these heavy topics, you also have to stem out into other avenues that sometimes are heavy topics based off of the start of a topic, and it kind of leads you down other roads. <laughs> um, well, we, uh, when we started Criminal, we wanted to do a show that we never do an episode that only uh, features experts or politicians. Or we, the, for it to be uncriminal, we have to have a personal story, and that helps us because if you have a personal story, and we've, I mean, I've interviewed murderers, uh, so but it's a person, and that's we've always thought our job isn't to judge, but rather to just find out why someone did what they did or how they got to a place where this was a good idea. Um, we are. Episode that we just did, our most recent episode is a episode of a man named Willie Grimes who spent 25 years in prison, uh, wrongly for the rape of a white woman. He was a black man in Hickory, North Carolina. It was very hard for us because we're at a moment right now where we're talking a lot about, um, sexual abuse and rape and problems and, um, and we had an issue here where we had a man who was wrongly identified by a woman who was a victim of rape. And so it's not her fault, right? She had her knock, her glasses knocked off. She was 69. She had just gone through a terrible trauma. And she picked the wrong guy out of the lineup. And the result of that is that Willie Grimes uh, was spent 25 years in prison. That's hard. We really, really struggled with the sense of, of being able to tell his story and the wrong that had been done to him. But not because this victim got it wrong, but rather how the police department allowed her to get it wrong. And so what we find when we do these stories about um, about people like Willie Grimes, he said that he got he was in 25 years in prison and he just got out and he's the nicest man and he said I asked him what he was doing now and he said that he thought he might like to take a trip someday but he hadn't yet, but he got his passport just in case. And I said, well, where would you like to go? And he said, well, I had a friend in prison who was from Puerto Rico. And it sounds like a pretty nice place. Maybe one day I'll go to Puerto Rico. And 
We've had so many people writing in to say, I'd like to send Willie Grimes to Puerto Rico. And so, you know, when we, when we get a connection like that with someone and people listen to this guy's story and not, not only do they think about the problems with his life, but also what is going on with our criminal justice system that would allow this type of situation, that to me is when we've really succeeded. Uh, when we can take one story and highlight the bigger problems through this one man's story. Um, yeah, I think one thing Phoebe said about having a personal story, I think that is such a great gateway for a lot of people to maybe hook into tougher topics that they might not have personal experience with or um, maybe they have a relative or a friend who suffers from mental illness but they don't quite know exactly what it's like and I think the good thing about podcasting is it's so intimate like you're right in the person's ear so I think it is kind of interesting in that with mental health like usually that is something that lives in your brain like it's I find podcasting is like a fascinating way to broach it because you are essentially in the person's brain. So it is like a very direct way to talk about mental health that sort of is almost like a way someone might experience it personally that is like harder to get with other mediums necessarily. So I think it's, it is in that way like unique. Um, so we, we don't think of ourselves as like chaplains to our audience, um, but I do think there's a chaplaincy tone to what we do. So we get a lot of very personal emails and voice messages from people, um, you know, talking about their experience being raped, their experience with cancer, with losing parents and loved ones. Um, and that feels like such a generous and trusting act that they are emailing us and sending in these voice messages. Um, so we're, we always, we listen to every single voicemail and we respond to every single email. Um, and I, it, it feels like a gift to us. We all, we play a voicemail on every episode of the podcast to make sure that community voices are heard and it's not just, um, me and Casper all the time, but, it's actually been overwhelming to us, I guess, what we've gotten back from sharing and from talking about these things. The other thing that's astounding is we get credit for things that we just, we got an email recently. We had, um, a friend of ours was on the podcast and he's a foster dad. And so he was talking about being a foster dad because Harry, you know, could have had better foster parents. And so it was, you know, on topic for Harry Potter. And, um, we've gotten two emails from people who have said, um, I, I've been thinking about being a foster parent for a long time, and your podcast is the reason that now I've signed up to be a foster parent. And I'm like, that that is so sweet, and that is bullshit. Like, that is all you. <laughs> like, you are doing an amazing thing. We take zero credit, but thank you. Um, but I think that what that speaks to, to me is that by talking about these tough topics, it, it speaks to me that we all need to be talking to each other more about these difficult things um, and demystifying things to one another. And um, because, yeah, if two strangers can get credit for, like, being the tipping point for people to go out and be foster parents, imagine what people who you actually knew and loved and trusted could do if we had the courage to talk to each other about these tough topics. So that's, um, yes. So we get credit for all sorts of great things, and I, I, I'm just going to take it. Yeah. And 
you know, you should in part, I think. Like, it's part of our job is starting the conversations and, and normalizing them. That maybe foster care isn't something that those people had, had encountered in their personal lives. But the Absolutely. fact that you had a friend who had done it, it's not a big deal. Like, people are thinking about this. Just kind of plants the seed, I think. Um, and, to, and to build on that... Um, I get asked a lot from funders or my bosses at the station, you know, what's the impact of your show? How are you, how can you show that you're moving the needle or that you're growing your listenership? And the most meaningful impact for me is when people are taking the topics that we are talking about and incorporating them into their lives. And so we actually had, after we did the baby episode, which I don't know why I keep talking about this one, is maybe one of the tougher topics we've addressed on the show so far, but um, we heard back from a young couple. He really didn't want to have kids for environmental reasons, was just not feeling like that was something he wanted to do for the planet. But his partner, they were engaged, and it was almost a point of a a breaking point in their relationship. She really wanted biological children. And, um, And they landed after hearing our episode. Again, we don't take credit, but it was like, that was what started the conversation for them on adopting. So I don't know if it was foster or how they, they're going to go about doing it. We're going to interview them and build a whole follow-up episode with feedback from listeners about kind of the conversations that that first episode started. And I'm having a lot of fun thinking about the content when we do go into these tough topics to then almost do like a table setting episode where we'll present sort of the different perspectives. You'll hear from different couples. You'll hear from somebody who thinks humans should voluntarily go extinct. And then we'll kind of turn to you, the listener, and and ask you to tell us how you feel about it and how you're addressing these personal choices. Um, And that's that's been really fruitful and exciting for me as a producer. So I'd love to hear more about like when you hear back from people, does that affect how you go forward, how you make maybe subsequent episodes, or how you address topics differently in the future. Let's let's start down there with you guys. Oh, hell yeah, man. Yeah. Um, what kind of psychopath would listen to people that, that listen to their show and be like, nah, fuck that, man. I, it's no other way to view this shit. Um, part of the thing about talking about tough topics is, and it's weird because you have to know what you don't know in a way, or at least be humble enough to accept that you don't know everything, right? Um, people look at um, the fact that you're they're listening to you and they kind of go like, oh, you're speaking either for this community or you're addressing this community or whatever, whoever you have in mind. But um, we're all individuals, so it's impossible for me to consider everything. Um, there have been times – I remember one time we had a guest who um, she uh, – I forget the word she used, but I think she used disabled and we didn't know if you were supposed to say disabled, disabled or handicapped. So we just did, we literally, we literally didn't know. We just had like a five minute segment of like, are we offending people? We're definitely offending people one way or the other because we're picking and we don't, we don't know, right? So someone wrote in, they were a person that, um, they, uh, were activists of disability justice and she was going through like this, this is the way you address this. So then the next time we did the show, um, you know, I started with that. Like, well, look, we didn't know. People are learning through us. I learned the same way. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Now it's a thing I know. Um, so I think you have to take in that feedback unless you're just like a dick. But do you have to make subsequent content? I think that's kind of like at NPR, you know, we, we, we push the content out on the airwaves, but podcasting is opening up, it, opening it up to be truly a, a two-way street in communication yeah, and actually every, then making stuff out of it. Every week we have a feedback show. Mm-hmm. I don't know that other shows did that before us because we've been doing it so long. Not really. I'm not. They didn't shark us. I'm not saying they did anything. But, like, we started doing a feedback show so long ago because we used to get feedback and it would build up and it would build up. And it was like, we should just make it a show. So now every week we take one episode a week and we just address what the audience felt. So sometimes you learn. Sometimes, you know, some you take it all with a grain of salt. But sometimes you end up learning something that you never would have. Someone will write in and be like, well, this is my experience 
with this topic that you talked about maybe you maybe you affirmed them with what you said or maybe you kind of contradicted what they said and maybe they're educating you so you have to have that humility to be able to 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 absorb it yeah yeah and i think for me um like Roger said, our audience is so vast that we have a lot of people that are highly educated. So particularly if we start talking about things uh, that are um, with deals with lawyering and lawyers. You have lawyers that will write us and say, hey, I'm a lawyer, and then this, this, and this, because I know it might sound silly, but I had a dumb question. When it was a dumb question, they was talking about these offenses, and they had all these letters. You offended A, B, C. I was like, what do these letters mean? These letters mean nothing to me. So a lawyer wrote in and actually say, hey, if you do this, this is what this means. It kind of broke it down so that when these topics come up again, I am better educated in these things. Same thing with academic. We, we'll broach some of these topics and we might not know that it, there might be a word for that in the academic world that we're not aware of. And they'll be like, well, next time, this is particular thing you're talking about based off of what you described. And same thing with LGBTQ. We have people that are specialized and they, and they fight for the right. So they'll write in and says, hey, maybe you didn't use this term right or here's a new term that's used or that's considered offensive now. This is what you use instead. You know, and so a lot of it is about learning to be open to criticism. And it's not really criticism, but I guess it's a difference between you critiquing from a good place and you just being mean. And people that actually want to see you grow, their critique will enhance your experience. You can build upon it. You can add bricks to it and make your foundation sturdier. People that are critiquing to be mean, that's a whole other group. A lot of times I just ignore that group because you're just being mean. I want to jump in real quick. We have like 10 minutes left. So I, if you have a question that you've been thinking about, um, we're going to get to you in just a sec. But be thinking about it and, and stay tuned. Here we go. Well, I, you know, um, this is what terrifies me, using the wrong phrase or the wrong term. You do the best you can, but you you can't... You're going to fail sometimes. What we do in uh, episodes that are dealing with matters, um, we did an episode about a, a, a trans woman. We wanted to make sure we were getting everything right. So we'll call the trans center of, you know the U.S., and we'll say, hey, can we run this by? We did an episode about a, a, a man had been charged as being a pedophile, and we were very aware of using the, wanted to be very clear about using the right terms in terms of child sexual abuse. We ran it through. We, we said, would you look at our script? We call these advocacy groups, and we'll show them our script and just say, is there, are there red flags here? Are we, are we getting it right? That helps me. You know, that's just so nice because then you've got someone else who can keep their eyes on it. So you're going to have blinders. Everyone up here does in their own way. But there's someone else who can kind of say, here are your blinders, Phoebe. Let me show you what you're not seeing. And that's the way that we've kind of addressed some of these hard topics is, is by letting someone else who's an expert in this look at the script and just make sure that our language at least is, is correct. Yeah, um, I, I kind of want to speak to this question more as just like a female person of color in like a field where that is still, you know, not close to, like it's still very much the minority. And I think it's like Karen was saying, like you have to know the difference between taking criticism and just people throwing feedback at you because 
maybe you're only one of many and they see themselves reflected in you and they want you to address all their issues and you're only one person. So you can't, so you kind of have to make peace with not being able to please everyone and not being able to take on every issue that people want represented. Um, and sort of being okay with like whatever you're capable of putting forth and your own fallibility and being able to evolve from feedback you get, but also being able to be like, I don't need to read another um actually today of what I should have said or how I should have said it better. Cause it's also like, I tweet a lot. I'm pretty political on Twitter and, um, I don't think sometimes people understand you can't address every nuance in, I guess, 280 characters now, but, um, you're, you're like, you know, if I had a book, I would definitely give a chapter for what you're saying right now, but I don't. So I think it is making peace with the difference between taking in feedback and also allowing yourself to be a person who is going to mess up sometimes. Yeah, we also give a lot of thought as to who's giving us the feedback. It's, um, I don't know if you guys can tell us about me. I'm a white lady. And when we talk about um, social justice stuff, white ladies, we really like to be preachy about how social justice is being done wrong. <laughs> and it's so annoying. <laughs> and, um, and so I will look up, like somebody will say, um, you talked about what, like we get a, uh, Basically, when it comes to social justice warrior stuff, I've stopped listening to people who look like me. I'm like, I know, I'm inside our heads. We're, we should shut up. Um, so that, that is an echo chamber that we, that to some extent I've stopped listening to, but then I think what we listen to are trends. So we did an episode on forgiveness. And we got more voice messages on forgiveness than we'd ever gotten on a single topic. And so we did a whole episode addressing voice messages on forgiveness. And we brought in a minister who's an expert on, you know, um, atonement theology and, like, had her talk about forgiveness with us. So it sometimes we're, like, sometimes it's, I mean, I think it's just similar to what everybody's saying. Sometimes you have to shut it down and be, like, I know this is very well intended and, like, I can get stuck in this rhetoric of liberal feeling good conversation forever. And then other times you're like, oh my gosh, forgiveness is something that this, our culture is not talking about nearly enough. Let's create a whole special episode to just address that. So I think it goes both ways. And I no longer respond with anything other than thank you to your feedback to Snape hate mail. I call it Snape mail. <laughs> and I just, we're going to have to agree to disagree. <laughs> I'm excited to take questions. We don't have microphones, so if you have a question, could you just stand up and make sure we'll repeat it so that everyone can hear, but try to speak loudly so we can hear you. Let's start right here. So just to repeat the question, if I got it right, it's how to protect your listeners. It's a mili- She's a military psychologist and dealing with tough topics that military um, folks experience. Right? Did I get that right? Yeah. So how do we protect? How do we protect our listeners? 
Gosh, that's a tough one. You want to see that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I actually will talk about a podcast that I was a guest on called The Mental Illness Happy Hour. And I feel like um, it's the host is Paul Gilmartin, and he does interviews with various artists and all kinds of people uh, about their own experiences with mental health. And I feel like he's good about providing resources and, like, um, further information people can get and just, like, sort of giving a cushion around, like, if that episode might be triggering or, you know, he'll, like, sort of do a trigger warning before certain types of content. So kind of just giving your listener that sort of um, support around what they might be about to listen to or how they might be feeling after the episode and giving them, like, maybe additional resources or a place they can turn so they're not sort of just left on their own with whatever they just heard. I would add, um, for Terrestrial, we have a Facebook group that's different than a page. So that means that the people that are there, as everybody in this room knows, but they've chosen to be there. And that's a different kind of thing than just pushing your content out into the world. And that means that, for example, if you did an episode about suicide, you could have suicide prevention hotlines, further resources that are there for people in a, in a not private, but a more protected space. Just an idea. We get a lot of content ideas, too, and we also find guests for subsequent episodes through people who are sharing their feedback to us in the Facebook group. And you guys should check it out. It's a great spot. We also, um, we email resources. It, it's really dangerous over email, I think, to start assuming that you know someone or understand someone. And we, it's, we recommend these resources depending on what you can afford. Like, please, if you have health care, please look out, you know, try to get a mental health professional in your life um here's the number for crisis text line here's and we sort of have a list of resources that we email back with the only thing i would add is just like you don't want to fall into like a savior complex because sometimes we'll get emails and i'm like oh no 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 no. this shit is way bigger than me i don't know how to fix this i'm just a guy talking and so you know one of the reasons you do want to provide resources or somewhere else for them to go is because people have already thought of that shit so you don't want to just be kind of like freestyling with someone's life, you know? Yeah. Next question. Yeah. How about? So she asked how to become the voice for a community that you may not be fully representative of. Is that kind of, or? or who have had much harder experiences than you have. She wants to do a show about um, folks who have dropped out of high school. So. No, nobody's fully representative of yeah. any group, right? So people may view you as that, but that's kind of on them, right? Um, the, only, the only other thing I would add is um, lean on your community. Like, lean on other people's experiences. Let um, If you can't get, um, you, if you can't see it, if you can't see, like, the full experience, invite somebody on that's lived a different experience in that same thing because the umbrella you're trying to create is one that will bring a lot of people together. Like, high school dropout, there's, I mean, gender-based uh, issues where people drop out. You know, you get pregnant or something. Uh, you get bullied for being, like, LGBTQ. Uh, of course, uh, systemic racism. All these things can still be covered within under the auspices of the podcast you create, um, but you just have to be aware that it doesn't have to be from... Uh, totally your perspective. 
I would say also it's about transparency for me. I get a lot of, um, I think people think that because I host an environment podcast that I am like this perfect environmentalist and that is in no ways true. Like I'm here drinking out of a coffee mug that I'm, I'm going to throw away after this, right? Like I just, so being just fully open about the fact that I do a show about living within a system that is flawed and trying to navigate that with my listeners as like, I am not holier than that. I'm just as lost as you are, but let's try to figure this out together. Might I think it resonates with my listeners and it might be really helpful to yours. I know Harry Potter way worse than most of our listeners. That's so embarrassing. We This week, we got schooled on something. That's not your question, but that's just my confession. All right, we've got time for one more question, and um, we're going to go right over here. Sorry, he's been waiting, yeah. So the question was, how hard do we work on show notes and those resources for listeners after the fact? How important are they? Do you guys have thoughts? Um, I do all the show notes for us. So uh, um, I do try to put stuff in there like uh, if we talked about something and we need a link and stuff. But for the most part, as a listener, that shit is not that important. Because uh, for the for the most part, like people are coming to listen to the conversation that you had or this thing you constructed. Um, oh, I should say it's not important in our format. I don't know other formats, but um, you know, if if they see you talked about Serena Williams won a tournament or something, they don't need like the minute mark or whatever. Like this ain't TV, man. Don't skip to that shit. Like let it ride. You know, get to the get to the conversation naturally or whatever. So, um, and then as far as like tough topics, I think it's important to make sure if you talked about something that you know. Uh, was really important and, and might, you know, trigger some folks or whatever. I would definitely put that we talked about that topic in there, but I don't necessarily stop the show and be like, no, listen, this next segment is about to be crazy. Don't even listen to it. Like, I'll just put in there, like, we talked about me too. Y'all, you know what that entails right there. So, you know, I wouldn't be too anal retentive about those show notes, but, just get that general gist out there, because if not, you're just working real hard for something that most people don't care about. We spend the, literally almost no time on show notes. I mean, that's the honest truth. It's the it's the thing that we think about, spend the least amount of time on, um, I think probably for the same reasons. But if there's a relevant link, if there's a picture that we have of someone, a link to their book, uh, and that's about it. This makes me feel so much better. <laughs> okay. Me too. I'm in charge of our show notes. Don't go to that part of our website. Go to other parts. Unless yeah. it's about Snape. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that concludes an awesome panel. Thank you guys so much. Check out these shows and rate them on iTunes. It helps us keep doing what we do. Thanks for coming. Oh, Hi, everyone. Hi. <laughs> Don't worry, it's just Travis. Yeah. yeah. So do you love communities? Is that why you're here? Great. So glad to hear it. We all do as well. Um, I am Ariana Nettleman. I produce a show called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, and I will be moderating this panel. Um, can everyone just go down and say your name and what show you make and um, like what you think the ideal relationship between a podcast and a community is? Yeah, just real briefly, you know. A real softball. Yeah. Um, Are we starting down here or over there? Yeah, go ahead, Rod. 
Uh, my name is Rod. Uh, I do the Black Guy Tips podcast. My wife Karen. Um, thank you, <laughs> thank you. Um, and uh, for community, for us, especially as Black people, people of color, um, it's about super serving our community. Uh, that kind of gets neglected sometimes by other shows and other uh, genres. So uh, we've created like our own kind of informal community via social media. So when we live tweet things, we use different hashtags. When we uh, start our Facebook group, um, we have like kind of different rules, you know. Some a lot of spaces are very antiseptic, but ours might might be a little cursing in there. It might be a little, uh, you know, we can say it, y'all can't say it type things in our groups. <laughs> I think y'all know what I'm talking about. So, 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 so community for us is, uh, definitely about like, uh, being involved and sharing our whole selves. Um, and at the same time, once it got, once it gets too big, learning to take a step back and not be a control freak and let the fans kind of take over. My name is Karen. I'm half of the Black Out Who Tips podcast. And to me, when I think about um, community, I think about wholeness. Um, that what I've learned about through podcasting is that through the community, the community makes you whole and you make the community whole. And I think sometimes people have a tendency to forget just because you're speaking does not mean you aren't a part of the community. And we represent a lot of different groups and we speak on behalf of a lot of different groups. And also what I've learned about community, we're willing to learn because there are groups that we speak about that we don't know and we are willing to admit that we don't know. And it's okay not to know everything because I know Google is your friend, but you're not Google, so you don't have all of Google's knowledge. So I've realized that uh, that's what community means means to me learning and growing and understanding there's such thing as intercept um being um having an intersect you know as far as i'm a black and i'm a woman i can talk about being black and i can talk about being a woman i can talk about being both you know and so understanding that other people have those things too in their lives and embracing people for who they are nice uh i'm hank I have a video blog with my brother that I've done for a long time 11 years and a podcast with my brother that i think is about two years old uh, where we answer questions poorly. Uh, I don't know where we got that idea from. Some bad advice. Um, this is the first time hearing about this. Uh, and ever since the beginning of like our video project, it has always seemed like the interesting thing was not what you can do, but what you can do with the people. Because like making media and having people consume it has been how it's worked for the last hundred years. And if there, if it can suddenly be something coming back at you in the way that, you know, stage does and that, you know, more live performancey stuff has been able to do, that is so much, like, if that is an interesting thing that we hadn't had in mass media for a long time. And, uh, and so watching, you know, originally like Zay Frank do that before we were making stuff and thinking about how we were gonna incorporate those things really sort of like drove home from the beginning that this wasn't an audience. Well, like don't think about this as like your fans, don't think about this as your audience, think about it as like you are in a community with them. And how to, like just like having that mindset informs all of the decisions. Uh, I am Travis McElroy. Um, I, let's see, what all shows do I do? Um, my brother, my brother, me, The Adventure Zone, Schmanners, Trends Like These, The Kind Rewind, Run, a Doctor Who fan cast, 
uh, till death do us blart. The McElroy brothers will be in Trolls 2. I think that's it. Yeah, sure, that's enough. Um, you know, for me, community is um, one of my favorite things about doing podcasting in, in the time we're doing it now is when we started My Brother, My Brother, Me nine years ago, social media wasn't where it is now. And so, was it nine years ago? Uh, eight? Whatever. A while ago. Social media wasn't where it is now. And it's, it's such a two-way street now, um, that it, it, I, I think I get more from the people who listen to my shows than they will ever get from me. Um, because like, I, I just really like everybody who listens to my show. Um, <laughs> no, it's just like, so for example, last night we did, uh, an adventure zone in Tacoma and we held the show, thank you, we held the show because there was really bad traffic and when we announced that to the people who were there that they were going to have to wait for the show to start because we were waiting for people in traffic, they cheered because we were waiting for people and they were just excited that we were waiting for people and they wouldn't feel left out and I was just like, like literally all of us backstage went, aww. And it's just like, really nice and like, you do what you do and you don't create in a vacuum. And I think that when people um, forget that, it's really easy to to lose touch with your community and forget why why you're doing it. Um, and and also the other side of it is community isn't just the people you make the show for; it's the people you make the show with, and other people who are making shows. Um, and I have made some like really really wonderful friends um, through other creators and. Uh, seen a lot of good done in the world from other creators, which then inspires me to try to do more good and that kind of thing. Um, and especially now when there's so much shit going on in the world, like all the time, everywhere, 24-7, all the time, seeing like interesting, fun, you know, weird like me people trying to do good when and where they can is, is, is it feels like being part of a really like polite and nice revolution. That's like we are going to stay positive. And that's really nice. Hey, I'm Drew. I make a Sleep with Me podcast. It's like a bedtime story podcast for grown-ups mostly. And I, I don't know. Like for me, community has really taught me to to kind of both build trust and to start trusting other people a lot more than I would have if I didn't start making this podcast. And through that, I've learned a lot about, like, shared vulnerability and how that really enables community and also, like, the idea of dignity and respect and kind of, like, that being a countercultural move of, like, hey, let's be nice to one another and, and let's put that foot forward and the vulnerability around that. And uh, if I never made the podcast and I didn't open myself up to that, uh, I don't know. I, I'm really grateful for that, yeah. I'm just saying, I'm feeling a lot of love up here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like I wanted to applaud, but it felt like that might be weird. Um, I'm uh, Julian. I'm the janitor at the Eiffel Tower, and I, I ruin the orbiting human circus of the air. Uh, and um, I, I think, you know, uh, when, when you love something, uh, you understand it deeply. And groups of people who love something... Um, understand something in common and, and I've seen it happen with groups of people who make things and also people who love things and often they change places you know my groups of friends who loved things we all ended up making things and then there's new groups of people who love things and uh, you know there's something very adventurous 
about that relationship. You want to change the world, and you often do. And now there's no barrier. I think with podcasts, you know, the audience is ready to really go somewhere and make something happen, and the, the creators are, and you don't have magazines or all this awful stuff in the middle. And uh, it's, a, it's a really beautiful moment, I think. Beautiful, thank you. Um, I want to pick up on something that Hank said. You said um, that we think about it not as an audience but as a community. And just like in an effort to define our terms because we're talking about community, um, I think it's really important to like be careful about how we use that word. Something that um, my hosts often talk about is that like they're very conscious of the fact that when you're in a community, well, we think about it a lot like religious communities because we're like thinking about religion, but they're like, when you're in a church setting, people in your church go to the hospital when you're sick. You know, they can take care of you. Um, and there's a way in which, like, we fear that our audience members, you know, they're so siloed in their headphones that they can't take care of one another. Mm-hmm. And so I, I guess I'm wondering what people think about the difference between between a community and an audience or a fandom or, or a revolution, you know, a revolution movement. Like, I think that there are differences between those things, and like, how how do we think about that when we're making content? Uh, so you said like the difference between an audience and a fandom and a community, and I think for me the way I look at it is a community includes everyone. Like, if you think about your community, it's not just like your friends, it's not your direct neighbors, it's everybody that's kind of encompassed by it. So that, like, includes people that may not like the thing you do or people that may disagree with you or people that have a different outlook than you. So, like, fandom to me is, like, those people are bought in. Those people love the thing, and those people, like, uh, in some way, in part, define themselves by their love of the thing. Whereas I think a community is much more like everybody I meet and everybody that might come in contact with me, good or bad, is included in the community. Um... This might be a semantic thing, but what's the difference between a community in that sense and, like, a network? Network. Um, well, I mean, for me, it might be no, semantic, no. but I think about the differences. Like, when I think about network, I think about, like, connections, and I think about, like, if I needed something, friends, business, anything, like, a network is something that's, like, this is my web of people. Well, that sounds terrible. But, like, <laughs> these are all the connections. Whereas a community, I mean... I, I really love what Karen said about a community also being part of, like, you know, learning things and leaping yourself up into things because I think since we started My Brother, My Brother, Me and then The Adventure Zone, I have learned more about other people by talking about myself, you know, like being able to – I think that it's really easy for people to sit down on a microphone and then have their view of the world end right here, right behind the microphone. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think one of the important things to think about when you're thinking about the, the community versus audience is, like, there is a whole world that reaches that this might reach. And if you're just playing to your audience, then you're never going to bring in people from the community into the audience. You're just talking to the people that already agree with you and already like you and like what you have to say, as opposed to opening yourself up to feedback from people in the community that are like, hey, I want to like your thing but you are being ignorant about this or, like, I feel uh-huh. like maybe you're misinformed about this. Mm-hmm. And if you plug your ears to that, you're just going to have an audience instead of a community would be what I would say. There's, there's something, too. So there's this thing, like, the way that the world was when I was growing up where I knew that, like, R.E.M. or a band, any band that I liked, I knew I was never going to, like, I knew that they, like, it was 
the one-way thing. And I also kind of knew implicitly, and then as I got older, knew much more, like I understood much more clearly that the like the popular bands in the world had created an image of what they were, and they put that image out there, and then they were very careful to not let any information get out that were, was going to be counter to that very specific image. And uh, and and there is a that is an effective way to gain a large audience. Um, but the thing that I just wrote down as you were talking was like, if you are if you, if your goal is to have the biggest possible audience, then there are a lot of things that you don't think about um, and and kind of discard is like, well, yeah, that's important, but like you know we have this goal. Whereas if you're thinking about it in terms of how do I have the best community, you have to think about like how am I like, how am I making people feel? Like, am, am I, like, sort of excluding a bunch of people by, like, making people feel good about one thing, but, like, and everybody's sort of laughing together except for, like, you know, 1% of people who are like, well, actually, like, that makes me feel really bad. Mm. Um, and so, like, knowing that, like, there are ways to grow your audience, and it works, but it does not make your audience a healthier place or a better place for the, like like, a community of people who's, like, has positivity or like making things better for themselves and other people in mind. Um, that that's a big difference for me because if if you're thinking about it in terms of audience, it becomes about size. And I watch a lot of people in my world be like, you know, obviously the thing to do is get bigger, and that is sad sometimes. <laughs> So there are two things that I hear you talking about that I, I feel like might be intention. One is, like, trying to be as inclusive as possible. Um, and the other is um, being willing to be, to like, changed by, by your listeners. And I, I think when I think of, like, being as inclusive as possible, I think about, um, like, playing to the lowest common denominator, like, making sure that everyone is pleased. But I think sometimes in community, it's you have to... Like, mm-hmm. bring the walls in a little bit. And I wonder, Rod and Karen, what you think about that. Because I think you mentioned that you speak to a specific community. You're not necessarily talking to everybody. Yeah. Uh, first of all, what are the rules on cursing? What are, are we, can we curse in here or no? I say it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I'm getting a thumbs up from the audience. Okay. Well, let's let's fucking do it. Let's do a thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say our community, we're protective as fuck of our community. Um, because... Um, like there's certain things that we can't budge on. So I don't want to invite a debate about whether or not my life matters into my community. So when I, when there are certain uh, opinions that we don't necessarily have the privilege of parsing out, and sometimes it can be so callous to even parse out those opinions, you know, like um, to have, we, we really in our society kind of worship this idea of being unbiased as well, I just don't have a, a feeling either way. I mean, maybe it's okay to be homophobic. Maybe it's not, you know, and and that's not, not. that's not truly unbiased, <laughs> right? Right. So like, society's already built one way, so it's not truly unbiased. So we try to make a place where we can have a conversation, and that's the difference. The show itself isn't a community. The sh- the conversations that occur on your show happen because. It's a restricted access zone, right? Like only you and whoever you allow to be on that platform are able to have those conversations. Everything that happens outside the show, that's where the community comes in, right? So the things that we say, we can't control how anyone reacts to them. You know, we've gotten hate mail, we've gotten love mail, we've gotten all kinds of stuff, we've gotten gifts in the mail, you know, like, um, so, so I think 
it depends on the goal. If if you are just, and we've had this conversation a lot where people kind of look at our show and they're like, why aren't you cutting off a certain amount of people when you say um, Black Lives Matter or when you say um, Trans Lives Matter, when you say, um, you know, when you talk about Me Too and you talk about abusive people in power, yeah, we are. We don't want them. You know, yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> And I think for me, when you talk about our community, I can't speak for anybody else, but like Roger said, we speak. And when you speak, the community is built off of people's, how people feel about what you say. And for our community, our community, because we kind of target a certain group of people, it's about healing. You know, because we've, with our Facebook group and stuff, we've seen people come into the Facebook group and they'll talk about things that they're dealing with. And it's, it's a private group. So other people would say, well, I'm dealing with that too. Here is how I dealt with that situation. Or somebody comes in and say, well, I'm just having a terrible day. My kid's getting on my nerves. My dog died. Everything's happening to me. And somebody would come day. around and say, well, you know, here's a thing to cheer you up. So the thing about community, in my opinion, community kind of they help each other heal. They hold each other up. They, they're, they're there for each other. And when you talk, in my opinion, when you talk about an audience, I guess it is. The community can grow into a big audience. But the thing about audience, audience is also a lot of times people that are just looking. They might not want to be a part of your community. They just might want to just hang around and see. And eventually, they might get swept into the community. Because we talk a lot about various different things, LGBTQ and all different things. And people will write in and say, well, I've been listening for years and... I just had a problem with that, but eventually now I see things differently now, or you opened up my eyes and I view things differently now, or, you know, now I can talk to my family members or my mom or my dad or whatever's happening in their lives based off of a conversation that we had. I think sometimes people underestimate the power of this microphone. And they underestimate them when people are listening. People are listening because they're going through things. They're having a tough time, a hard day at work, or whatever it is. They might want to have to smile, and something you say might trigger something within them to cause them to be a better person. Because the thing about community, in my opinion, community makes people better, makes individuals better, which in total makes the community better, which also can extend out and make your audience better. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I really like, I really like what you said about, uh, we, not wanting those people in your group, cause that's the difference between lowest common denominator and inclusive to me. It's like, I, 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 I never sat down and said like, okay, time to be inclusive. <laughs> it, was, it was just more like, I, yeah, I want that person. I, I remember on trends like these, um, when somebody punched a Nazi and we were talking about that, that story, uh, and like, at first, Brent and I had this conversation before we started recording of like, okay, so what, how do we, how do we cover this and discuss? And then I was like, oh no, wait, fuck Nazis. You <laughs> know, like, like, you have this conversation where it's like, all right, how do we cover? Oh no, wait, fuck, I don't care. Um, and it was actually, I, I had, a, a, it was one of the best conversations I've ever had with my therapist. Where she said, like, you're, you're really worried about doing right by everybody. And at a certain point, just kind of have to do what you think is right. Mm -hmm. And like, if, if you're constantly trying to appease everybody, 
yeah, you, you end up like completely blank nothing. And at a certain point, there's like, no, I don't have to look at both sides of this. I know you're wrong. Right? Like disability of like, this isn't me not having an open mind. I had an open mind years ago. I'm 34 now. I know now that I hate Nazis. Right? Like, I I don't want to have a conversation about whether or not Nazis are bad. That is done. That conversation ended a long time ago. And so like that, that's where it's like, I don't need to include everyone. I need to include the people that I have no reason to exclude is a better way to put it, you know? Thank you. Um, Moving from that idea of pleasing everybody and then connecting to Karen's uh, mention of how, like, how much you affect people and the power of the microphone, I'm wondering, because we've been talking about healing a little bit and about changing, like, what responsibility we have to the community that that we are, in some senses, like a figurehead of. And Drew, I want to start with you. Because I think your audience is unique in that all, a lot of them suffer, right? A lot of them can't sleep at night, you know, have different things that they're dealing with. Um, and so they're looking for something. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple things. I mean, one, like everybody's kind of saying, like, I think your show and how you are on the show sets the tone. And then it goes to the audience and then it goes to the community that might be more engaged. And then it's out of your control, which is a really hard part. I mean, at least for me, it's like, holy shit, like, what's going to happen? Like, like what's going to happen when people disagree? Or what's going to happen when this comes up? And you have to trust that the community and the, so, the tone you've set, like, and the goodness of other people, that they're going to take care of one another. And it, it constantly plays out like that. As much as I doubt, I see people, like, in, in the, our big Facebook community, it's like four in the morning and I can't sleep and this is what I'm dealing with and and I, I don't know what to do. And people will be like, well, I'm here. And and it's really about, like, listening. And and I see just, like, people saying, well, I've, I've dealt with that. And maybe not even about finding solutions uh, but finding a shared experience. I mean, I think that's what connects all of our communities. Like, as different as our shows might be, it's like, People are looking for a connection in this world, and it's really isolating. And in insomnia especially, I mean, people are, even people are in relationships and their partners next to them sound asleep, and they're struggling and hurting and, and, and desperate even. Uh, so I take it very seriously, but I can't take it too seriously because most of it's out of my control. And I think, like, another thing is, like, I, I don't know if anybody else shares this fear, but of, like, well, geez, what if I do something wrong? Is the community going to abandon me? Are the listeners going to abandon me? And getting over that has been a huge step for me of saying, you know what, I can only do my best and I'm going to make mistakes. And people are good and forgiving or they're going to help you and say, hey, you know what, I, I didn't appreciate that or, or, or something. So, yeah, I don't know. It's really about, for me, it's like, I was like, it took me this long. I had to start a podcast to grow up. Like, <laughs> but yeah. Well, that's the thing. Your your audience doesn't want to see you fail, right? Like a podcast isn't like a radio show. It's and you you have to be proactive to seek it, right? So just in the fact that they're listening, if you do make a mistake, you know they're gonna want to try to either like get some accountability, but also to kind of like reel you in and lift you up, as opposed to tear you down you know so i think it's a different relationship you know like tv's always there it's always on right so like if i don't like don lemon it doesn't matter like he's not going anywhere 
but if i don't like my favorite podcaster like that hurts on another level i'm like no man like fix this shit you know (laughs) (laughs) also one of the biggest lessons i had to learn uh was about like the community and being the, the the like the head of the community and the power dynamic that goes with that mm-hmm. of like there was um like I remember early on like if somebody would say something like, you know, I just don't like the sound of Travis's voice, which is fair. <laughs> <laughs> I don't either. Um that's not true. I love the sound of my own voice. <laughs> and like I I would like engage with them. But they weren't directing it at me. They were just having an opinion mm-hmm. about a product they consume. Yeah. And here I am, like, swooping. And it's like, I'm a bully at that point. Because I can't engage with them as equals discussing me. It's like, if I tweeted about Good Place and, like, Ted Danson started yelling at me, <laughs> I wouldn't be like, yes, we are equals, Ted Danson. I would be unbearable. <laughs> and, and the other way around, too, is I also think the power dynamic that often gets overlooked in communities is then when you, as the creator, if everybody says one thing to you, they mm-hmm. see their individual voices, but you see yes. this, like cone of like voices coming at you so like one person's like i don't see what the big deal is and it's like well yes you you don't but i see everybody saying and especially when it's like everybody wanting something different Mm. and it's just like everybody being like well i want this and it's like i you don't understand why i can't just do the thing you want right but i'm trying to figure out how to do what all of these people on black twitter we call that a dragging that's what this is everybody coming at you at the same time right. and this and everybody and then normally the person doubles down and goes off all crazy and shit because. <laughs> <laughs> yeah because they don't want to hear that and something else when um you were talking about uh being responsible when you're on a microphone most of the time there's no script there's nothing you look at it's not a teleprompter in front of you you don't have a producer or somebody saying go so most of the time when you're speaking you're speaking with raw feelings and the thing about when you speak with raw feelings, you're going to make errors. You're going to make a mistake. It's part of being human. And sometimes people forget that we are not products. We're human beings. And I think when people plug in microphones and they hear you, they automatically assume that you're a product. And they disconnect the humanity from you. And that's why they feel like it's okay to personally attack you. That's why they feel it's okay to, because like you said, I've had this, particularly being a woman, my voice, my looks, you named it. I've been personally attacked on it. And it's one of those things where I go, oh, okay, you don't look at me as a human being. So I have to discount everything that you say when it comes to attacking me personally. And all critiques aren't good critiques. Some people critique just to be mean. And they cover it up as, I'm giving you a critique, but you suck. That's not a critique. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a difference. When people actually critique, they're critiquing with love. They critique because they want you to be better. They want you to improve. They want to see these changes in your life. That's a critique. And also, the thing is, when you make an error, you have to be willing to say, I'm sorry. So many people double down just because they have a microphone and the person that's talking to them doesn't. And so they use their platform as a bully pulpit to go, well, I can talk and you can't. So you're smaller than me. And you, and in my opinion, you can't do that either. But also, you have to learn from your errors, in my opinion, and learn from your mistakes. Because what I've realized, your audience slash community is a reflection of you. So if there's certain things that you put out in the world, you're going to draw those people. You know, if you put out goodness and love and kindness, you're going to get that back. If you put out a bunch of negativity, in my opinion, you're also going to get that back. And so a lot of times those people are surprised when that community turns on them, but that's what you're putting out into the world. Yeah.
Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. Um, yeah. So we're talking a lot about listening to people, um, and I think I don't, I don't know for sure, but I feel like a lot of the places we do that is on social media. Um, and I wonder, you know, like it seems like our responsibility somehow falls outside of just producing a product every week. You know, we have to do some listening. We have to do some talking back. But I also hear you saying, Travis, that, like, sometimes the talking back isn't productive or there's a power structure in place. So, like, how do you draw the bounds around what it is the work is when it comes to interacting with That's listeners? That's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's – I love what Karen said because it's, like, the idea of critique and everything is, like, you can't – it's so hard. Like that, that to me, they asked the question during the morning thing of like the hardest thing about like podcasting. And, and honestly, there is no producer, there's no studio doing it. And so like there's no adults to look to. You're, you're the adult, you know, like you're the adult who makes that decision and there is no infrastructure in place to figure that out for you. And so like, it took me a really, really long time to figure out what voices to listen to. What what was the difference between someone going, I love this so much that I want it to be better versus somebody who is like, I'm never going to love this and I want you to know it. And like listening to the difference between that and then also knowing within yourself, like, how much of this can I take in before? I mean, I... I, I it's, I spiraled into a depression. That was the reason I started going to therapy because I took all of it in. I don't want. I don't want to upset people. I don't want to disappoint anybody, and and I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And so, like somebody would say something, and for them, I don't know. It might have been an offhanded comment that they put on Twitter because it's Twitter and it doesn't matter. But then I would read it and feel like I had failed that person, mm-hmm. and like I, I take it very personally. And that, listen, that's not to knock anybody sharing their opinion of everything. That was my it was my problem. This was not like people being mean to me on Twitter or anything. It was an amount of like really trying to find within yourself like how much. And I think this is true not just of social media or criticism or anything. How much do you let in? Is is period the end? Because I think if you you can go the wrong way and let all of it in mm-hmm. and spiral and be crushed by the weight, or you can go the other wrong way and shut it all out because you start to be crushed by the weight and you just say, like, okay, I'm done. And finding the balance of that is, as a human being, I think one of the hardest things in general because I, I still want to do right by everybody. I right. still want to take care of everybody, but also not everybody's great. Yep. You know, and it's like... <laughs> That's it. It's like I, I'm. I think it's really easy. I try really hard to put out positivity. That's like my thing, and I never lie. Like I, I'm. I don't claim to feel the positivity I put out. I'm putting out the positivity for other people to feel, and then I feel it myself when it's folded back. But like, it's it's not always good, and it's not always easy, and it's it's it's. It's really hard to phrase because I think it's really easy to sit in front of an audience and your audience and your community and try to pretend like everything's good all the time because you want your audience and your community to like you and stay happy and you don't want to insult them. But there are times where it's really hard to be a creator and it's really hard to be a consumer and it's really hard. It's hard to be a person. (laughs) And, and, you know, and it's, I think that's part of community, but it's also, 
the isolation within a community can be scarier than isolation on your own. If you are the one voice who says, like, I don't think this is okay, and you get shouted down by people you thought were in your community and, like, the same thing, that can be more terrifying. I, I, I've had people, when I talk about, like, you know, Twitter and having issues with it, and people are like, oh, don't let the trolls get you down. I'm like, it's not the trolls. I don't care about the trolls. It's people who, like, claim that they like my show and know me, but don't understand the thing I was trying to say. You know what I mean? And that feeling of, like, don't you know me? It's like, no, no, they don't. I mean, that's the thing is I, I'm sharing a lot of myself here. With <laughs> but I think it's, it's one of my favorite things about social media and about community and about the work that we do on the Internet is it can make people who in other time periods would have felt so alone, would have felt like I'm the only person with this problem. Sleep with me is a great example of like, I'm, I'm all alone right now. And you can go on Twitter and say like, you're not. There's people in Australia that have the same problem as you. And there's people, you know, around the world that are dealing with the same shit that you're dealing with. And that's wonderful because it can bring communities together regardless of physical location. But what it can also do is start to trick you into thinking that like, it is the same as like having a conversation with somebody. Like, uh -huh. I and sometimes for fun, like for funny reasons, like I will have a conversation with someone on Twitter and over time forget I don't actually know them in real life. <laughs> and that's really nice. I've made a lot of friends through Twitter because we, like, then we met at a convention and it was like, hey, how's it going? It's like, oh, this is our first time meeting. Uh, it's great. <laughs> but it can also like, you start to, you know, distance yourself from friends and family because you're getting all this feedback from, the, like, that was one of the big things I went to therapy for, too, is, like, I would, if I was feeling down about myself, I'd go on Twitter to seek validation from, like, social media telling me I was great instead of just, you know, like, talking to my wife. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, like, <laughs> it's very it's very hard for any one person or even, a, like, the small number of people that you actually interact with to compete with 100,000 voices of validation. Um, and that's a, that's like a legitimate, like, yeah, a, a problem that a lot of people I know and myself have dealt with. The other one <laughs> thing I want to say is in regards to like, how much do you let in? Sometimes what I, like, so for, first, like, this changes so dramatically from day to day as a creator. Sometimes your audience is much bigger. It's like suddenly much bigger and you, or you're reaching a new audience. And so like things changed and like, so you're always, you always have to accept that it's going to be different one day than it was another day. And uh, and that's a very difficult thing for a mind to deal with because we're not built to deal with the size of your community changing exponentially, like orders of magnitude, up or down, over the course of weeks. So that's hard. The, but, but, like, how much you let in? For me, I'm like, I kind of let it all in, but I say to myself, it's okay to disappoint this person. Right. Mm. I... Like, I'm, I'm not able to do the thing that they want me to do. I can't explain to them why. And I'm not gonna tweet back at them. And like, that's okay. Yeah. And it's really like, it's kind of like hard to accept because my job is to talk to people on the internet and to explain myself and to have, and I want everybody to like me. But sometimes it's just, yeah, sometimes I disappointed a person and like, and that's okay. And if you don't say anything, they'll be like, you ignored me. And then, <laughs> and then if you reply back, they're like, why you reply back? You see all your followers gonna get on me? It's like, it's no way to win. You just gotta let some people be not happy. Well, that's, it's important too, cause that was another big lesson I had to learn is like, one person 
doesn't represent your community. Right. So, like, one person tweeting you, like, you should be ashamed of yourself. Doesn't mean, like, every single person who listens to your show is like, yes, I agree with what they said. It's an individual person. And it's, it's like, if that person tweeted you and said, chocolate is disgusting, you wouldn't be like, my whole fandom thinks chocolate's disgusting. Like, no, that's that one person's opinion. But it's really easy to see that one person mm-hmm. as a as a you know a, a representation of everyone, yeah, yeah. Um, and and that yeah. gets harder as communities get bigger too, and which is a, a thing that I was uh, like I wrote down earlier in this was that like in in some ways a, a larger audience means sort of a less cohesive community, yeah, yeah. and that's something that I definitely have noticed over the years. Like we used to have a very small tight knit audience, and now like we've got lots of different pieces that all sort of interact but in general people like sometimes people are, I'll like re- respond to a comment and they'll be like you read the comments <laughs> and I'm like I mean I read everything <laughs> like, yeah like that's the best part of my week it's like I upload a video and then people say stuff I uh, no joke immediately after we finish a live show the first thing I do is get on Twitter and search the hashtag because it makes me happy that people liked it and uh, so far I've never been kind of like Focus your <laughs> <laughs> Well, we've gotten very deep into your <laughs> Listen, I'm a narcissist, and I'm proud of it because that's how narcissism works. <laughs> um, I, I, I also think, to circle back here and not just turn it into me complaining about Twitter, um, if, you're, if you're out there listening and watching and you're thinking, I wonder if I am a problematic like listener, problematic fan, that they're talking about, if you're wondering that, you're not. not. (laughs) Like, that's the thing, is, like, if you come out and support stuff like this, and, like, you care enough to actually, like, listen to our stupid opinions about things, Mm -hmm. then you're probably the supportive good people. And and that's not to say there are bad people. Well, there are. Um, But it's, it's... Communities are made up of individuals. This is a, a, a... I grew up in church. I grew up Southern Baptist... And the thing I learned very early on is that it is a mistake to view a church community or any community as a single cohesive unit. Mm-hmm. It's really easy to, but it's made up of individuals. It's, and individuals are fallible. And if you get a bunch of fallible individuals together, you, it doesn't get better. <laughs> It, 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 it most of the time it gets worse. And so it's really easy, I think, to think of, like, one piece, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's not. It's a bunch of individual pieces, sometimes working together, sometimes with differing opinions. Yeah, and yeah. if you want to have a productive relationship and build a productive community, like, just feeding into the people who are criticizing you only, you can certainly take that criticism and, like, incorporate it into yourself. But... Throwing, uh, like getting into a Twitter feud isn't going to make anybody feel like, oh, this is a safe, pleasant place for me to hang out. <laughs> I see that if I have a thought that is not what this person thinks about, like you don't, you know, that's not a, that's not a good community building strategy. It's only like a good self-protection strategy because you feel threatened as a human. Um, and e- even though this person is, a, you know, 140, I mean, I apologize, 280 characters. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to clarify, because I don't think you meant this. Not everyone who disagrees with you is a bad person. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. I mean the people who... And sometimes you're going to disappoint people who are good people. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And this is the thing. It's not about being disappointed. It's not about disagreeing. There are people out there who want to start a fight with you. Yeah. 
And like there, there are people. This is. <laughs> I'll tell you a secret. Lady and everybody. Sometimes when somebody says something really mean to me on Twitter, I do research on them. <laughs> I go through their Twitter timeline and I look. Yeah. First thing I look, do they follow me? Right? Because, like, if somebody is trying to yell at me about something and they don't even follow me on Twitter, I do not listen to that person. Most of the time I just block them. <laughs> That's not true. Um, but, like, I will read through and, and, like, really gauge, like, is this person just, like, going through Twitter trying to start fights with people? Or is this, like, an issue that this person's really passionate about that, like, deserves mm-hmm. my attention? And, like, that's what I mean, like, bad people. There are people who see it as their jobs to act as a critic of things. Right. Not not to critique, but to, they, they see it as, like, you can't enjoy something unless you're picking it apart. And I... I my inherent problem, as you can see my whole body concaving, my inherent problem with that is that it's really easy to forget, much like a community is made up of individuals, that a product, like you were saying, a show is made up of individuals. So you might think, like, I am... Cra- the great example of this is one time um, this kid I follow on Twitter... No, 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 kid. person I am friends with on Facebook, I mean was like, all of, everything I said was wrong. This person I'm friends with on Facebook was like, complaining about this movie preview that they saw, and talking about how stupid it looked, and how terrible it looked. And one of his friends, unbeknownst to him, one of his friend's wives wrote the script for that movie. Ooh. Right, and the, the friend responded like, yeah, she wrote that. And he was like, oh, I, I didn't mean it was bad. I didn't mean like, and I was like, okay, cool, that's a great example of like, it's really easy to forget that at the other end, at the end of both sides are human beings. Right. Yeah, I think also when we talk about things being a product, uh, we're so entitled now as audiences, right? Ever since like Napster let us steal people's CDs, <laughs> we, we've never gone back to like kind of being like, oh, this is a human being I'm taking from. So the same way people get uptight about like, I don't like ads in my podcast. I'm like, well, I don't like being broke, you know? <laughs> Like, I think there's that also that entitlement of that consumption, right? So, like, you have a Twitter account, you do this podcast, I disagree with you about something, I'm going to find you, I'm going to tell you I disagree, and you're supposed to just take that, you know, the same way that, like, uh, Time Warner Cable has to take it when I'm like, Time Warner Cable, you fucked up my cable, they just have to take it, but... I think we lose that humanity in each other. We lose, we lose that vision. And that's something, uh, especially like this year of my life, I'm really trying to get back, like to stop seeing past people and see the person. Because even those really crazy people, like we've been threatened before and stuff, like even something, that guy, something's wrong. Like he, something's in his life that he needs, uh, to have taken care of. You know, it's not me, obviously. Um, but, but, like something is missing in that person's life that would make them de- be there. Um, within a community, uh, at one point we had, well, I actually don't know how many members on Facebook we have anymore in our group. Um, <laughs> cause we, uh, we used to moderate it ourselves and we realized that we had to step back from that and we selected uh, like 15 people or so to go, it's yours now. Mm-hmm. Because honestly, it's not my business what you really think about the show amongst your private personal thoughts. So 
there's no rule that you need to agree with me there you don't even have to like me there are people that listen to the show they're like i don't even like you i'm like that's cool you know like i don't like everybody you know so it, it happens but i i think it was uh um as uh as uh, travis was saying i was letting shit in that i really had no business letting in so that was the line i had to pull for myself was to be like oh you're a human being too and you're not required to be a fan of me even if you're in a group that's about being a fan of me yeah, I want to talk to Julian because he hasn't said anything. <laughs> How you doing? Hi. <laughs> Your show is very different than all the other shows here in that you play a character who also happens to have your name. Like, are you resonating with any of this? Like, what do people make assumptions about you as a person based on your show? Um, I know you meet a lot of your fans at live shows. Like, give us your perspective. Uh, well, the, the character having my name was actually an accident. Uh, me, one of the first scenes that we ever recorded was with me and, and John Cameron, the host on the radio show, and we were just recording, and so we were using each other's names, and so that's how the characters ended up with each other's names. But um, I, I, I think that one thing that really resonated with me a lot that you, you couple, you, you guys down there too, everybody, that I think is really worth saying is one thing about community. Um, and family uh, is that you end up loving somebody uh, who might at some point in their life end up thinking some crazy things. I mean, your grandfather, your grandma, I mean, people that you've loved and you love them, they can be a part of things that you might feel hatred for yourself. And I think that the presence uh, in communities, in families of unconditional love is so, so important to be manifested in the world, and and I think that that's because that's also one of the things that can stop things like the Nazis from happening, and that's the other side of it. And at times like these, it's very easy to lose that from the world entirely. So that that's one thing about that really resonated with me when you guys were talking about people and the fact that everyone's a part of a community, and 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 that's the other part of inclusion. I think it's it's, uh, it's yeah. So I've just been told that we have 10 minutes left, um, and I want to take a couple of questions. So if people will raise their hands for me. I saw one way over there, and speak up. Yep. Hi. Um, I was really interested in the The question was um, about the inextricable nature of social media and podcasting, and how do you really know your community if you're not in the social media world? Do you have to do both? So Griffin's answer to the worst part about podcasting is have to ever be on Twitter ever at all. (laughs) Um, And I laughed hard at that. Because, of course, I would go on Twitter all the time anyway, but I do recognize that it's not necessarily the most uh, healthy thing that I do every morning at 6.30, looking and seeing how <laughs> the world has decayed one one more, but, like, sloughed off a bit more flesh. Um, and <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, 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 you know, when I started making YouTube videos, Twitter didn't exist. 
which it blows my mind. Like there was a world before Twitter, you guys. And uh, so, but like, and also like, you have to remember that kind of I'm building the idea of what my community is in my mind, and I, so I need some feedback of some kind. And I need I need somewhere where I'm getting that feedback, and it's not just going to be iTunes reviews, though those are a great place because you don't want people to say negative things there. Five stars every time. Uh, every time. <laughs> we don't read it. Our motto is, if you don't leave us five stars, we don't read it on the air. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, you need some way of getting feedback as a creator in any case. And, and that's one of the things that social media is good at. I think also you need to know who your community is. You know, like sometimes you'll see like a podcaster go off the deep end. But it's, it's really because you either separate yourself from people or you just hyper, like, get into just one type of opinion, you know? So you kind of need that full focus. I don't know how you could be a podcaster and not have social media unless you're like, I'm super famous and I, I don't care what these people think about me or whatever. Like, you kind of almost have to experience those people. True. Yeah, I mean, I think one other way to look at it is, like, if your podcast is exploring an idea or a concept of seeing the social media landscape as, like, even if you just as a mental trick of being, like, okay, this is this wild land that I'm going to start exploring and start extending the concept and what I want to build out as a community for my show there, like an adventurer. I mean, just cast yourself in a, in a different role. Because uh, it isn't everything we're talking about. I mean, I think the hard thing is, like, we don't know what we're, we don't know how to do this, and, it, and it's very strange, but we love you. And uh, so it's like uh, trying to walk this tightrope a little bit. Uh, and I think it's just a part of, like, Stepping outside of your comfort zone, and then you realize, oh wow, it's nice over here. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Julian, you don't got social media, man? No. <laughs> <laughs> what if you like show up to a meetup and it's all like all right dudes? What would you do? You'd be like, oh shit, I don't even know y'all. Y'all listen to this? <laughs> all right, we got another question. <laughs> I think there may be a story. <laughs> what just happened? Yeah. <laughs> um. I have a positive one, so I'll I'll start. Like, I, I tried on my show like to get this old timey opening where I said, "Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls," and it never felt right to me. But I couldn't find the words because my show's all about creating this fireside place where everybody feels welcome. And not long after I was testing that and being like, ooh, it's old-timey but too old-timey, uh, someone in my community welcomed the new members. And they said, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and friends beyond the binary. And I was like, that's it. Like, that's what I was looking for. And uh, it, it just was always like, oh, that's – like." The essence of my show coming back to me. Uh, so, yeah. I, I, I remember a time that uh, a response from our community completely reshaped the way me and my brothers think about the world. Um, and very, very early on, I think first year, we made a joke about furries. <laughs> and we were very mean to them. And you have to remember, me and my brothers are three cis white dudes from West Virginia 
who tried very hard to be nice, but, you know, had a lot to learn. Um, and we made these jokes because it just seemed like, yeah, this is, a, a, we didn't know anyone in the furry community. We didn't have a connection to it. So it seemed like the same way everyone uses New Jersey as a joke state. It was just like, this is a joke we can make and everyone will laugh at it. And so, like, we put the episode up and some wonderfully patient and polite furries responded to us. I'm like, we think you might be misinformed about the furry community. And they were, I'm about to cry. They were so nice. <laughs> and they had no reason to be. We were so mean. And they could have very easily responded like, well, fuck you all. But instead they came back and was like, we think maybe. You don't know as much as you think you do. And we, it was one of the few times that we've ever apologized for making a joke about, like, because the reason it's one of the few times is we didn't do that ever again. Because we realized, like, why why would we make jokes at anyone's expense? And it was suddenly this realization of, like, there are people at the other end of this line. And that was it. Like, that's where it all changed. And I think from that point forward, we tried to operate from a point of either knowledge or openness to things we didn't know rather than just making fun of something we didn't know. Um, and it has completely changed my worldview over the last seven years. Because it's left me, like, instead of, like, assuming I ask and I listen, and that's always way more interesting and better yep. than just being like, ah, I don't know it, I don't care. It's way better to say, like, what's your day like? What do you do? What, how does that work? That all of that stuff is way better than just assuming or not being interested. Yeah, I know with our audience uh, being mostly black, you know, black people as per capita were pretty religious. So when I kind of started talking about being an atheist and making certain jokes and stuff, I did think we were going to get, like, a lot of backlash. But um, Christians are used to being picked on. So they were cool <laughs> for the most part. Every once in a while we get an angry email or something. But, like, in general... That was something where uh, it's almost like a trust fall with the audience where I'm like, I hope this doesn't become a thing. But, you know, the, uh, so that, they kind of did surprise us. Great. We have one time for one more question. <laughs> In the green, yes. <laughs> you should always apologize for being a dude. That's just. <laughs> <laughs> So the question was, is can there be a sanctuary in communities and, and a, a kindness? And I think I'm going to extend that question because this is our last thing to, to talk. We've been talking a little bit about some of the troubles with communities, but I think a lot of really beautiful things have come out of your audiences. So to answer that question and talk about some of the beautiful things. Yeah, I mean, I, I, this is the first time we ever did a live show and so, like we thought we were going to, because John had done a book tours, book tours over, you know, being an author and nobody, and it's just like miserable, like five people and you're like, and I'm going to read you my book now, five people. And 
Uh, we did this library show, and it wasn't even a book thing, so we thought that it was going to be less than five people, and there was like 50, and I was, and they were like, you should play a song, Hank, and I didn't have a guitar, and somebody had brought one, and so I had to play music for them, and then they all knew the words to my songs, and then I, and then it was, and then like, and like that is like the direct result of that day is me wanting to bring more people into physical spaces to have experiences like that, which is like why this conference is happening, so, um, it's all cascaded, it, like that day cascaded into everything that I've done since then. Uh, yeah, but also just like al- always feeling extremely supported and, and but but even supported like like we will sometimes be like, what should we do more of? Uh, we'll ask our audience and they'll be like, take breaks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that also happens when you start 10 podcasts. Um, <laughs> I, I would say that as far as the question goes, the important thing is to to understand what kind of safety, because sometimes it's the safety to allow yourself to be challenged by something. Because like be a sanctuary or a safe place or doesn't mean that everyone's going to agree with you, but it just means that where the disagreement comes from starts at a much more uh, like cohesive place, comes at a much nicer place. But I, I think that that's the really important thing is understanding you. You could love something and the uh, same as someone else and have completely different opinions about it than they do. Um, and, and that, that for me is like my big takeaway of community is if you, and I think I see a lot of you in cosplay, but if you like the adventure zone, it is good because the community invested in it and cared about it and stuck with it and gave it because it, it, it evolved over time, and the characters that we had and the stories that we told, it was almost like a weird kind of like choose-your-own-adventure, where it wasn't like we were making decisions to make the audience happy, but like we'd see the audience get invested in something, and it's like, I care about that too! And so we'd go deeper down that road, following that storyline, following that character, because the audience loved it. And like, still, every... I don't know that I will ever not feel happy seeing someone in costume or seeing someone that has gotten a tattoo based on my show or that they just come out to stuff like this and to live shows. Like, it will always make me feel like I'm doing something right because it means that much to at least one person. Um, and so that's the thing. Your community can be one person. I need to wrap it up. But community can be one person if that one person your thing means the world to them. The last thing I'll say is that Hank talked about bringing people together, and I think that's really important that we're all here in this space together. Something that my host Vanessa says a lot is that, like, we can create these alternative spaces of meaning, but church buildings are important because you can house refugees and feed Mm. people in them. Um, And right now, you know, like, we need to really be orienting ourselves to how to bring people together so that those those things still happen. because those things happen when you have a space together. Anyway, thank you all so much for coming. And thank, thank you. you the panel. All right, so there you have it, man. That's all the panels we were on. All of them. We were working hard. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you couldn't be there uh, in real time, you can find, you know, yeah, you can be there virtually. You a glimpse. 
you can also still hear um, all the other panels and stuff over at podcon.com um i think they still have virtual tickets and stuff for people so mm-hmm. uh if you want to hear you know all the live shows and stuff people were doing that's a great resource uh, as you guys can hear they give very quality stuff so thank you so much for listening um and we'll talk to you soon until then i love you i love you too Mwah. Mwah.